This podcast is brought to you by Atlas VPN, who is currently running a huge deal for Moore's Law is Dead fans. Click the link in the description to support Moore's Law is Dead and get Atlas VPN for $1.83 a month with three months for free. But also support Moore's Law is Dead by using the offer code BROKENSILICON for 10% off Vite Ramen or the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Windows keys at cdkeyoffer.com. You can also use DieString to get 3% off everything else on that website. And we'll talk about these supporters later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom. Today, I am joined by the hopefully now fully recovered Dan. Dan, how are you doing? I'm uh, pretty good right now, I suppose. I don't know. You know, when I look at this episode, it's at least in terms of reader mails and stories, fairly girthy. But I don't know. I guess we'll see. I doubt this is going to get to three hours, but it's a pretty large episode But I guess that's unsurprising considering this is really the first one we've recorded for almost two weeks since we were on vacation. Uh, Yeah, when this will come out, we were on vacation a week and a half ago. Yes. (laughs) Now, I would say what happened to me was a vacation. Now, our family was planning to go on this like trip to Ireland. Our mom was planning and... um, you know, it was supposed to take up a whole week. That's why we had those pre-recorded, you know, the, the the APU segmentation, two podcast episodes all dropped in one week. But when I landed for a connecting flight in Charlotte, I got a text from mom saying, Dan has COVID. We don't know what's happening. Yeah. So I don't know how much I want to dwell, dwell on it. It kind of sucks, but we're rescheduling. And uh, I don't know. I guess you got to go on too many vacations, though, so. Yeah, basically, we tried to figure out how much we could get refunded because, like, you know, the debate becomes, do we really want to do a trip now? If you are not there, you're one out of four people in this family that's supposed to go or, you know, if, you know, and I think ultimately we made the right decision to just see if we can reschedule it. Yeah, and I think we will be able to, so. Right, and now we especially know that was the right decision because now it sounds like we definitely will be able to later this year. Uh but man, imagine if we wouldn't have, and you'd have just been recovering uh, <laughs> from being sick, and just Dan, look where we are today. Dan, oh, look cool. Today. <laughs> We're <Yeah>. in. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> I, I imagine like just sending me hundreds of pictures constantly, like, oh, look at where where we are, Dan. What are you doing? Well, yeah, my, I don't know what our mom would have done. She probably would have been like well, do we say nothing and just pretend we're not on a trip or do we just, (laughs) or would she have done that mom thing? They sometimes do where they're like, wish you were here, Dan, but look where you're not at (laughs) picture. Cause I swear she does that sometimes. Uh, Yeah, she does. She does. (laughs) Of course she means well, but I guess, you know, yeah. So I managed to like, when I went to Mammoth Caves in Kentucky, there was a sm- since we were already there, we did a small trip in North Carolina for the where we just stayed there after and just canceled the flight that was going to be after that connecting flight. 
Um, but I guess I am curious. I know you watched I Think You Should Leave. Did you, and you seem pretty sick the first few days, but you seem mostly recovered after halfway through the le- week. Like, did you catch up on any video games or what else did you do? Or or was it not really worth? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I watched some shows. I <laughs> Trying to get some scientific work done because we're trying to put out a paper soon too. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, do some work there when I can. Uh, but I'm trying to think, I guess I've been watching the other two as well as I think you should leave. Recommend yeah, I, both. <laughs> I really, really recommend uh, the other two on HBO or I guess well, now it's called max. Oh yeah. I mean, because H- HBO I, I, was I, such a bad brand. We got to get rid of that. Right. We, <laughs> There's the uh, counter theory that some people have that they don't. Uh, what what are they called? Discovery Time Warner now? I, I can't mm-hmm. remember what they're called after the merger. I think it's that. But there's a counter theory that they don't want to solely the name of the HBO brand with the heaping pile of shit that Discovery <laughs> is about to put on is being oh. put onto it. Either way, it's maybe that's stupid. why. Well, yeah, because. The other argument I've heard is that they're worried people in the center of the country, which is where I am, and I like the other two, think HBO sounds too liberal for mass appeal. That is an argument I've heard on several podcasts, but it's like, well, when you look at the new shows coming out on HBO, it doesn't seem like they're really getting away from that. So, well, you know, one thing, though, that does not get old is talking about the prices of VRAM. And since we don't have any corrections or opening reader mail today, I thought we would just jump straight in to story number one. Story number one, GDDR6 VRAM prices plummet. Eight gigabytes of memory now supposedly costs just $27. Quoting from Tom's Hardware, due to the rapidly dropping demand for graphics cards in recent quarters, coupled with the end of the component shortages of 2021, Prices on GDDR6 memory have plummeted. As noticed by 3dcenter.org, spot prices of GDDR6 decreased to less than a quarter of what they once were during the past one <coughs> five years. Let's see, a quarter, so what, $27 for 8 gigabytes, so times 4. That sounds about right, yeah. At present, 8 gigabytes of GDDR6 now cost $27. However, it must be remembered that there were other considerations besides the flat per gigabyte price as well. Adding memory chips to both sides of a graphics cards, like would be required to make an RX 7600 to get to 16 gigabytes, does add complexity because you have to clamshell to get there with the design. Still, it's very easy to conclude that even in unideal situations, it shouldn't cost more than $50 to $70 to add 8 gigabytes to just about any card, even after accounting for margin. And therefore, it is safe to assume that an RX 7616 GB should have an MSRP of 339 and a 4060 Ti should not cost more than 469 if these companies were being reasonable. And uh, the only thing I would note to this story about how RAM is basically back to normal prices, if not even lower than where it was a few years ago, and like the general idea of complaining about adding $100 to the 4060 Ti cost to get to $500 for that model is that you do have to keep in mind that there is some balancing going on here at these companies. Like, So let me think of a good example here. All right, adding 16 gigabytes to the 4080, let's say that would only add, you know, I don't know, 100 bucks to 150 bucks. Right, but that's current pricing. Mm-hmm. So you 
if all 4080s, though, now are using 16 more gigabytes, if all 4062... It would drive prices up. It would definitely drive prices up if there was any reasonable amount of demand for these products, which... That's all I'm going to say is that when you see, well, it shouldn't cost more than like 40 or $50, I think these companies would be prudent to add another $10 to it so that they control demand a little bit. Because otherwise, I mean, if every card had double the RAM, they're not making twice as much RAM. That's part of the price. But still, the point is $500 for a 4060 Ti, 16 gigabyte is absurd. They could totally afford to make that 450 or probably just 400 as well. Yeah, I, I mean... I doubt it will, but hopefully this means that, it, well, it, it might mean the price of the 4060 Ti 16 gigabyte drops on the market relatively quickly. If there's just not a lot of demand and the, the RAM gets cheaper, hopefully it will just decrease below what $500 that it's being priced at right now. Um, but yeah, they, I think they're being greedy even before the price of RAM plummeted. We knew they were being greedy, so... I, I don't know how much there is to say other than like, eh, hopefully they won't continue being greedy and hopefully the 4060 Ti 16 drops to like 470 within a, a month or two. And also, I, I guess, I, I imagine the 4060 Ti was probably going to be the lower demand unit. Uh, I mean, the 16 gigabyte model will be lower demand. So hopefully the having a bunch of 16 gigabyte models wouldn't necessarily releasing a bunch of 16 gigabyte models won't redrive prices up but well not at 500 dollars now <laughs> well no yeah although nvidia from what i'm hearing is hoping that the 16 gigabyte model makes up for the basically non-existent demand for the 8 gigabyte model right now we'll see i mean i i don't see why that 500 dollars card would demand much have much more demand than the 8 gigabyte version i i they're both poorly priced. $500 is just too much for that level of performance anyway. So I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know what they're expecting this to be a higher volume. If they're expecting it to be higher volume than the, the eight gigabyte base model. Uh, I definitely wouldn't bet money on it. <laughs> well, yeah. And especially not when, you know, you can get a 6800 XT, which is 30% stronger or something for this exact same price right now. I mean, even if you undervolted it to get to the same efficiency, you'd probably be a little stronger and cost less or something. So, you know, I, I guess I'll save some of this discussion for upcoming stories that cover these cards. The one thing I will say, though, is even if it would probably, if if literally NVIDIA or AMD right now said our entire lineup doubles RAM capacity and we only added 50 to 100 bucks to the price, Absolutely, that is going to drive up VRAM prices overall. Oh, but yeah. I, I think minor edge cases it won't. And it would, we keep coming back to like what AMD is going to do with Navi 32. For sure, I think they should just give the 7700 XT 16 gigabytes. And maybe even the 7700, if that is a thing that they want to charge for, you know, $400 for in release. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that like going from 12 to 16 isn't going to drive up a lot. Yeah, I, I, AMD is less stingy with their RAM. I wouldn't be surprised if at least the 7700 XT all the way to that has 16 gigabytes of RAM still. That seems perfectly reasonable to me. Yeah. All right. Now, I want to move on kind of in this vein of discussion to a reader mail question from Bullethead who says, Hey, Tom, can any of your game dev sources comment on the validity on the validity of this argument about texture issues in modern games? Sharif FYI basically argues on Twitter that DirectX 12 bindless APUs force developers 
to be fully in charge of which textures would stay resident in VRAM in a way they didn't have to before. And unfortunately, most of them seem to be making them all resident and then just lowering all of the textures at once instead of optimizing certain textures for to hit different performance targets uh, that would require a lot of optimization work. So I saw this make so, to get, get shit around a bit. I thought this was a really good question, too, from a patron, which, of course, you can ask questions to support us on Patreon, um, because it's kind of arguing the other side of what's going on right now with devs and VRAM capacity and needing more RAM. You know, Sharif FYI, which, to be fair, I don't really know much about this guy, but... <laughs> The argument proposed on Twitter is that DirectX 11 basically handled more things for you before. You have to handle more of it now with DirectX 12. And because of that, because devs aren't bothering to do that, they're basically just not handling it and just turning all textures down to lower resolutions. That's why you get a situation like The Last of Us Part 2 on PC, this person says, where with like medium textures, you're actually using more than 12 gigabytes of VRAM, and yet it mm-hmm. looks worse than the PS5 version's textures until they patched it later. Well, Bullethead, I was actually very curious about this, and I actually did reach out to two developers who gave me very lengthy answers to this, and I think they're very illuminating, and so I just want to read both of them. So the first answer I got comes from a render tech expert at a studio who tells me, DirectX 11 reduces risk in general, but it obscures hardware. I guess you could argue it blocks you from shooting yourself in the foot, but there are several problems adding together in modern PC gaming that are exacerbated the more visually complex the game becomes and the more visual variety in the game, the more exponential this issue becomes as well. The more exposed pipeline in DirectX 12 and Vulkan theoretically does offer devs more potential, but the added complexity means you have to build this texture lookup yourself but then that also risks you make your game too complex to even use the system like this at all. So at the end of the day, I would argue there's some truth to those tweets from Sharif, but at the same time, that truth doesn't really change reality. If people want next-gen graphics, they need this next-gen way of doing things. And this way does allow us to optimize for weaker hardware if it has a big install base. But then also, we can run it on everything else, weaker things than before with DirectX 11 by toggling down settings across the board. But doing optimizations for 100 different configurations with next-gen graphics, that's not going to happen. Modern engines have both made powerful hardware better utilized and enabled weaker hardware to play the same games. But we're not going to do both at the same time. There's not enough hours in the day. Now, I want to read another one here. This comes from another dev who's an FX artist that says, this issue this person talks about is definitely a known issue that most developers are constantly dealing with. For example, my studio spends the last few weeks before releasing a big content package, making sure we haven't increased the resident memory usage too much, but we always manage to get to what we need to with the tools that we at least built. Thus, keeping textures resident depends on the studio, and in my experience, most studios have an adequate way for assets to get around it and stream instead. Well... If you have enough VRAM or a fast SSD, that is. I guess some studios are dealing with it worse, but, you know, time is always limited. For example, the PS4 requires heavy-handed work in keeping textures resident, but it's worth that extra effort to make that huge install base function perfect at launch. And so think about it. Once you optimize for the PS4 version, that is the big install base that has a hard drive and only 8 gigabytes of RAM, and you got that covered. Well, again... Any system out there with a fast SSD and ample RAM makes this an honest issue. And then remember that 
what I said about consoles and gaming PCs with limited memory. Each one of those could take weeks to optimize. Before a big content package, we spend weeks optimizing this. So as usual, arguing that devs are getting lazy misses the point. There's always more work you can do to squeeze down RAM usage. And there's always another explosion one might want to put on screen if you have extra RAM. But time and budgets are limited. The PS5 has a design, for example, and the tools that make this very easy to work to do. And the PS4 has a massive install base that means we can't ignore prioritizing optimizing it. After that, honestly, many enthusiast gaming PCs already have an NVMe SSD, 16 to 32 gigabytes of RAM, and a 12 gigabyte or higher GPU. And then we'll just have to patch it after launch for better optimizations for the other dozen broad configurations we're expected to worry about now. And... That's what we're going to keep doing unless you want all games to come out one to two years later for the eight gigabyte GPU people. Remember, everybody, eight gigabytes of RAM is $27. When devs ask you to buy more RAM, we're asking you to spend $27 more so we don't have to delay every game two years so a 10 gigabyte console and GPUs from a decade ago can continue to pretend they're high end. <laughs> so I got, well, I don't know if you, this has almost become its own story, honestly, on this episode, Dan. But I thought there's been this was one of the best counter arguments I've ever seen to kind of what we've been covering on this channel for a while about VRAM usage. What are your thoughts to what these two developers said? I mean, it's kind of the same thing you hear, uh, like like when you hear about someone editing a script or a book or whatever. Like, yeah, you can always squeeze more out. You can always edit to death and find something where you can slightly improve whatever you want. Uh, but at the end of the day, how much time are we going to st- are they going to spend optimizing for graphics cards that are frankly like probably dying? Like if you if you're still gaming on like a 1070 or something, it's a pretty old card at this point. I know new some new cards are coming out with eight gigabytes of RAM, but eh, eight gigabytes of RAM is going the way of the dinosaur unless you're like want to p- play at 1080p medium settings. So. Uh, the this idea of having the max setting have to fit in an eight gigabyte buffer makes no sense to me because eight gigabytes has been around forever and yeah I guess there's endless work you could do to make use less than eight gigabytes of RAM but we're getting to a point where most car- new cards sold are going to have twelve plus gigabytes of RAM right, right. It, it, so and I want to be clear about what these both devs seem to be saying here and I did actually throw back you know, hey, it sounds like you're saying this. Just to be clear, that's how we're going to portray it on the show. Is that what you mean? And they said, yes, absolutely, that's (laughs) what we mean. The point is, number one, you have something like the PS4 that has, what, I don't know, 100, 120 million install base. And you're kind of optimizing for the Xbox One. You're just going to turn down the resolution because it's weaker, right? So for those two consoles, combined getting to like 150, 160 million, you're going to put in all the work for eight gigabytes of RAM and a hard drive, which is horrible at streaming. That's worth the effort. After that, the the PlayStation 5 has easy-to-use tools, a decently big and growing install base, and an SSD that makes it easy to stream all this crap and on the fly between different scenes. So those are just covered without too much. One of them requires effort, but it's kind of one thing. And then this doesn't require much effort. After that, the Series X is kind of close to the PS5, although we'll get into it later if it's showing RAM issues with some upcoming titles at lower frame rates. And then after that, you get to PC. All right. Well, if we're being honest, 
like a fourth of enthusiast PCs aren't going to have issues because they have the latest SSDs and at least 12 gigabytes RAM. Yes, there's a large contingent of PC gamers with 8 gigabytes, but like 80% of those 8 gigabyte cards are old cards. Yeah, so it's, it's like lower, just, yeah. lower settings to medium. I'm sorry. Like, And yes, medium looks like low on launch day for 8 gigabyte cards until a patch comes out a month later because once the game's out and it's working well for PS4, PS5, Series X, and the best gaming PCs, there's this other contingent of people that they're then going to optimize for after launch unless you want... Because it's just going to take months of like little tweaks here and there, basically. Or NVIDIA and AMD, for being honest, and their drivers going in and tweaking some things themselves, which they do sometimes for launch day drivers, kind of. So... It, it, like you just it's all it's all work it's all man hours and they if they can cover last gen consoles most of current gen consoles not the series s really and yeah you know a third of high-end pcs and then the rest of the configurations like group five is going to take months of work that's not going to probably happen at launch because they want to make sure they launch on time yeah i i mean when you have I guess that's the issue that uh, happens when you have a bunch of different con- configurations uh, that are have such a wide range of uh, specifications. Because I, I, I don't think people are really complaining about this anymore, at least. But like, so, I mean, some people still want to be able to game on a hard drive, which is just not possible that's anymore, absurd. really. Um, and uh, NVMe drives even have been at a, a decent price point for a while now. Yeah, I, like I think you can afford to get a one terabyte SSD uh, NVMe or Gen four, not Gen five at this point. Yeah, or a five hundred twelve gigabyte one for like what seventy eighty bucks. I mean, I don't even think oh, it'll be yeah, that much most. at this point. Eight, so, if it's half a terabyte, yeah. So it's just like at, at a certain point, if you're not willing to upgrade your specs, I, I don't know why you expect to get better picture quality or better performance over time. There's just been like this weird thing in with a contingent of PC gamers where we should have more system RAM over time, more cores in our CPUs, stronger graphics cards, but VRAM isn't a big deal for some reason. And, and let's keep in mind when you look at minimum settings for some upcoming games, almost all of them say you need an SSD now, but some of them say SSD runs better. The version of the game that runs on the hard drive that works okay is a system that somehow, for some reason, has a 16-gigabyte graphics card, a 64-gigabyte capacity of DRAM, and then a hard drive. And the reason they can use the hard drive is because they're filling up all this other crap instead. But Mm -hmm. most hard drive systems don't have 64 gigs of RAM or a 16-gigabyte graphics card. And so, de facto, you need an SSD now, guys. Yeah. So... Uh, I don't know. It, it just actually kind of reminds me of uh, when I had two seven nine fifties uh, in Crossfire. I actually wouldn't really use it that often because uh, the power, the GPU power I got out of two seven nine fifties was uh, hampered by only having three gigabytes of RAM, and that was ten years ago. And I know that's three gigabytes, but ten years ago, three gigabytes was a limiting factor if I wanted to try to play games in like in 4K. 1440p oh, or 1440p 4K. Yeah. So like yeah, I I usually just have that for mining the second 7950 for mining because the, the <laughs> I I would just rather not have the weird performance hiccups you could get with Crossfire and 
I really couldn't get the performance out of it anyways. Like, so I would have to go down to like 1440p or somewhere between 1080p and 1440p if I wanted to play it anyways. Yeah. And you know, what I would say is, you know, obviously I, I only reached out to a couple devs and luckily they both got back to me, I think with very interesting and well thought out answers, but I'm sure there's other developers of their own thoughts. Clearly someone on Twitter here has their own thoughts as well, mm-hmm. but you know, I just want to make this clear though. It, you know, these are just back and forth opinions. Every developer I've had on, you know, every developer that I know Hardware Unboxed, uh, Steve at Hardware Unboxed has reached out to behind the scenes before talking on some Q&As. They, at least the ones we're talking to, unanimously say the same thing, that it was way overdue that we have more RAM. Maybe some devs will disagree on the side, but to those disagreements, I have some pretty mo- well-thought-out multi-paragraph rebuttals. And it all basically comes down to, yeah, I mean, DirectX 12 makes it, so you have to do a little more optimization work, and it seems like some devs aren't bothering to, but at the same time, most of them are. <laughs> and <laughs> at a certain point, DirectX 12 makes it so weak hardware can run any game, but it'll look like crap. And strong hardware works better. In the middle, if you don't have enough RAM, there's losers right now because we don't have time to optimize for every graphics card architecture like it's a console. Mm-hmm. It's just unreasonable. Um, all right. Well, speaking of graphics cards that don't have enough RAM, let us move on to story number two. Jesse loves watching Netflix with me, but not just part of Netflix, all of Netflix regardless of the region. And why wouldn't we take advantage of all regions? We're paying for it. This regional content wall that goes up all the time depending on where you live is just silly, and you can avoid this silliness just like we are if you use Atlas VPN. This piece of content is sponsored by Atlas VPN. Atlas VPN is an incredibly affordable VPN that's become a long-term supporter of Moore's Law is Dead. And so if you need one, show them some love. But not just because I told you to, but also because Atlas VPN gains you access to content in other regions. Companies want to nickel and dime you for accessing. They also let you use Alice VPN on unlimited devices, and they also stop ads and malware, including malicious links and trackers trying to steal your data. And actually, they also work to show the best prices available, subverting attempts to gouge you based on location or operating system. That one, I think, is actually incredibly useful, in my opinion, because it demonstrates you're actually paying for something here compared to some other competitors. They're not paying that much really that's right atlas vpn can actually save you money every month despite only costing a dollar 83 a month if you click the link in the description and they're running a big deal right now that will also give you another three months for free click the link in the description to protect your data and save you money clicking on that link alone helps the channel a lot and also if you need a vpn atlas is pretty dang good support someone who supports moore's law is dead that's atlas vpn today NVIDIA RTX 4060 set for June 29th launch. First reviews a day sooner yet again. According from video cards, those waiting to upgrade their systems with the 8 gigabyte 4060 should now mark their calendars for June 29th. This is officially the new release date for this entry-level graphics card. NVIDIA has changed the release date after officially confirming it on Twitter. The 4060 features the smallest Ada Lovelace GPU die called AD107 with 3072 CUDA cores and a 128-bit bus, but the memory is clocked lower than the 4060 Ti with 17 gigabit per second memory instead of 18 gigabit per second memory. This confirms a leak by video cards prior that outlined the new launch schedule. Originally, 4060 was announced for July, but video cards leaked that on June 9th, the press and influencers will get submissions. On June 12th, they will ship uh, ship to channel NDA and embargoes will lift. 
on June 21st, uh, influencer seating. And on June 28th, MSRP models get reviewed. June 29th, non-MSRP models, or above really, MSRP models (laughs) will get reviewed. NVIDIA decided to price the 4060 at $300, which is indeed the cheapest desktop RTX 40 card so far, but still probably not the car, the price that gamers were hoping for. Um, so what did you think of this, Dan? Like they announced July and now it's coming out a little before July, barely a little, but a little. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess they, <laughs> what that they, they are hoping the, this, the 4060 will be met with more enthusiasm than the 4060 TI and they're pushing it up. I mean, I'm curious if that means that they just think the 4060 is a complete dud and maybe even some 46. The 4060 Ti, I mean. Yeah, sorry. The 4060 Ti is a complete dud. And maybe the, they're pushing more chips to uh, the 4060 or something. That's something people got to understand. Um, the 4060 Ti, at least some capacity of those, would have been manufactured at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. And same with the RX 7600, although I, I actually kind of hear that RX 7600 may have had a lot manufactured. <laughs> and then both companies just sat around and were like, Hopefully things improve. Hopefully things improve. Months, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven months go by. They're not improving. They just have to launch the 4060 Ti. They have to launch the 7600. You know, to the people that go, they should have just given the 7600 16 gigabytes from the start. Those boards are already manufactured, guys. So <laughs> yeah. they had to at least launch like 30,000 of them. There's unchanged. a bunch of weird. The only half- thing they could change is the name. <laughs> it's like there's a bunch of weird haphazard solder marks on all of these uh, 18 gigabytes 7600s. <laughs> Not to mention, what are you going to pay a guy $20 per card to do that? It's, yeah, it's not it's, happening. It, it won't work. Yeah. So, you know, they had to do some 4060 Ti launch. They had to do a 7600 launch. So far, the 7600 selling, I mean, it's not selling great, but it's selling above AMD's expectations. I would guess they're already shifting supply over to just not make many more of them, but they already have them. Those are going to mm-hmm. sit there. Um, and then the 4060 Ti, same situation. And, you know, when I talked to people at, this was before the 4060 Ti even came out. People I talked to at AIB said, we don't even want to make this thing. Some retailer said, we're not even stocking it. So I think there's no way around it. They made it ahead of time. They had to launch at least 30,000 of them. After that, they're going to sit on shelves, probably drop below MSRP. And the focus is going to be on the 4060 because what's going to be like 20% weaker than the 4060 ti with the same amount of ram if it's eight gigabytes cheapest is best guys because all of these cards aren't going to do anything with higher settings i'm still on the camp of the 4060 numbers are weird to me that it it feels like it should be sounds like it should be substantially weaker than the 4060 ti to me it has um 40 the 4060 ti has 40 percent more cores than the third and the same bus and the same bus and slower RAM and Ew. some weird thing with its L2 cache that still seems well. Scary. Yeah, the desktop one is 24 megabytes of cache, whereas the 4060 Ti is 32. Yeah. But it, it goes to show that at this point, the memory bus is the bottleneck, Dan. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what this all means, you know? Yeah, it, it's just. I don't know if it ends up being like 30% weaker than a 4060 Ti. I won't be surprised. (laughs) No, but that would be at most what it will be. Dan, think about it. Same bus. Yes. Less cash, but that's not half of the bus really's performance. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like it has a third, the cash, 
Um, and it's going from four three fifty two, I believe. Uh, well, I think thirty seventy two. Yeah, from four three fifty two and the forty sixty Ti to thirty seventy two. So literally one two three. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I would just split the difference. You know, same bus, forty percent less. What's that then able to twenty percent? This thing will be a twenty to twenty five percent the weaker. I think. Okay. You'll find scenarios where it's 30, but I don't think it's usually going to be 40% weaker because it's the bus. It's just, they really, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's just absurd. Uh, It's just absurd. The uh, 106 die doesn't have a 192 bit bus or even a 160 bit. So it had 10 gigabytes, but even had 10 gigabytes for 400 and that made it Uh 10% stronger as well. That would have been fine then. If they could have released a 4060 with 10 gigs of RAM, Honestly, I think 10 gigs for the level of performance is not perfect, but good enough. Like, I would prefer to see 12 gigabytes in both of these at least, but eh, 10 is, I think, enough for this level of performance at least. Yeah, well, and that's why we kept recommending the 6700 before. I think it's basically sold out now. Because um, oh, that yeah, was we knew- performance for <laughs> that amount of RAM. Yeah, I mean, we knew that was a temporary thing, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so anyways, though, I guess... Do you think the 4060 is going to sell? It's clear NVIDIA knows the 4060 Ti is a bust. I've just heard nothing but horror stories. Like, they expected it to sell bad, but, like, there's stores where they haven't sold one till now. Still haven't. <laughs> like, it, like nobody wants this bucket of crap. Do you think the 47, 4060 is going to fare any better? Um, I think it's... I think it's kind of dependent on where this, oh, I, maybe it's not, I don't know, but I, I, I think it's kind of dependent on the 7,600 where that, the price of that falls when this comes out, like is the 40, is the 7,600's price going to be drifting down a little bit by then? Cause if not, if it is, then I don't see any reason you would get a 4060, like the features it has, I don't think are worth like a 20% premium over the uh, 7,600. Yeah, and well, I think and it's you, going to be more or less a seventy six hundred in performance, maybe a little stronger, but it'll be around there. Yeah, of course. But but yeah, you know, and it'll have the only thing it'll have is DLSS, which is important. Yeah, but I'd say DLSS is worth twenty percent more money, maybe. But then you also have to factor in, but who's shopping for an eight gigabyte card above three hundred, anyways? You know, so it, it's you know, there's a reason I tweeted the sixty six hundred is one eighty. This is an eight gigabyte card that's yes, 30% weaker, but it costs what 40% less for the same amount of RAM. And ultimately, all these cards are gonna have to be at low settings. I, guys, you're not gonna need the, then it's I mean the 6600 low settings and 1080p is gonna run at crazy high frame rates, anyways. All of these cards yeah. are silly. Yeah. <laughs> that's not wrong. Yeah. And and I think there's also the the question of for the 4060, the one thing that I could also see surprising NVIDIA and bad sales, if it sells badly, mm-hmm. is they'll they'll have forgotten that not only that there's something just to be said for just launching later is such an issue because maybe if half a year ago the 4060 was out for three hundred dollars, everyone would have gone, yeah, I'd rather get this than a you know a 6700 because it's basically a 6700 with a little less RAM but half the power consumption and you know, it has DLSS, so that helps with that anyways. But it's been six months. There's been six months where anyone who wanted around an eight gigabyte card maybe already bought the card 
because they've already gotten cheaper. And it's just like, who's left in this market by the time this comes out? And that might be a reason NVIDIA is trying to launch it as soon as possible as well, is they're just realizing the 8-gigabyte market has been so saturated with cheap stuff below $200 for half a year that maybe just, even if this is better now, no one's left to buy it. Yeah, because everybody that everybody that's wanted 8-gigabyte says, I mean, they've been avail- around for so long now. I just... I don't know who this is for, I guess. Yeah, it's for people that weren't able to get a 6700 when it was still available, right? Yeah, I mean, that's basically it. Um, And it's not better. It's just the same thing. Actually, more money. Um, (laughs) All right, Uh, we have a reader mail here from Maverick who writes in and says, hypothetically, what could NVIDIA have sold the 4070 and 4084, made decent margin, and also be something that you think the market would have found acceptable? Well, I've been covering this in recent episodes. I think there is a certain degree here where maybe the market's so mad we've forgotten a little bit what acceptable means. Like a decade ago, I keep highlighting this, uh, the 7770 launched for more money than the street price of a 6850 and 6870. That was weaker than a 6850, but it was more efficient and had newer features. And so because of this, They were like, whoa, it's this performance at this power consumption and cheaper. And then they just knew everyone was going to buy the 6850. That was going to sell out. And the 770 would go down in price a little. That's what's going to happen with the 7600. That's pretty typical, you know. But Mm -hmm. the 4070, the 4080, that's really so far beyond typical that I'd put it this way. The 4070 Ti and 4070 have a die that's only 7% bigger than the 3060s die. And they have the same amount of RAM as a 3060. Mm-hmm. Guys, this thing costs 50 to 100 bucks more to make than a 3060. There's no way around it. The 4070 should have been what the 4070 Ti is for 550 max. And the 4070 should have been called the 4060 Ti 12 gigabyte for 450. If that would have happened, I think people would have accepted it. $550, 3090 performance, and then $450, 3080 performance with 12 gigabytes. And then the 4080 could have just used what is now the 4070 Founders Cooler, been 900, and they could have been like, stronger than the 3090 Ti, $900 with 16 gigabytes. And that would have honestly undercut the 7900 XTX by 100 bucks. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I think the 4080, even at $1,000 against the 7900 XTX, wouldn't have been terrible. Um, $900 would have just killed... uh, Navi 30. It has the same it, die size as a 3070 Ti. They could have totally afforded that. At $300, have, but, but it's a more expensive node, done. Yeah, if they could have made, if they launched it that for 900 bucks, I think they would have just killed Navi 31 completely. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, I guess, you know, a, a point I want to make, though, answering Maverick's question here, which thank you for writing in, is I think we get these questions every other episode. What could this have been priced at and been acceptable? What could have this been this and been acceptable? I started answering this question by bringing up the 7600 because it's like, I don't know if there's any price where anyone's excited. And I think $270 isn't good, but it's, if we use the word acceptable, everyone said it has to be under 300. It was, it was 270. So mm-hmm. would 250 be better? Sure. You know what also would have been better? $100. Like, but it's never going to be exciting. However, I just don't think that way of thinking and that type of arguing applies remotely to the 4070 and up. Like, it's not like, Hard for me to conceptualize. The 4070 Ti has a 7% bigger die than the 3060 and the same amount of RAM. 
Oh yeah. So I mean, charge an extra even 50% and it still would have been way higher margins than last gen. And I think the market would have accepted a 500 to $600, $30, $90. They would have. They would have loved it. But NVIDIA just, I guess, decided they want to double the margins of last gen, which already had high margins and no one's buying it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think everything below the 4080 uh, in, a, in NVIDIA's lineup right now seems like it's half a step. It, it, they're marketing it as half a step higher than what it is. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I think that's the best way to view it. Like the 4070 Ti should be a 4070 and it should be cheaper than what it launched for. And that's kind of what everything uh, that they've launched so far should be. The 4060 Ti should be what the 4060 is and it should 40, be like 300 bucks. <laughs> yeah, the 40 and the 4060 should be a 4050 and be 250. 2, 250 maybe it is a 150 millimeter squared die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a smaller die <laughs> than the 3050. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. Um, and I mean, even the four, it applies to the 4082 though. The 4080, they're trying to sell it as a 4080 Ti for 4080 Ti pricing. It's not. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, speaking of a car that we have yet to know if it will be overpriced, let us move on to story number three. Navi 32 physically seen in B-roll in a Forbes interview. Will AIVs register the 7800 XC16 gigabyte? I'm quoting here from both video cards and Tom's hardware. Forbes had a chance to talk to AMD CEO and President Lisa Su about the past and future of the company. This video is actually not very new, as we are looking at content that was published on May 31st. What is important, though, is that the B-roll footage embedded in that video is a product that has not been announced yet, namely a Navi 32 GPU with just four MCDs and a smaller die than Navi 31. This was discovered by Hong An Fu on Twitter. Meanwhile, at the same time, ASRock has filed two new AMD graphics card model names with the Eurasian Economic Commission, the EEC. These names come with the anticipated RX 7800 XT nomenclature, suggesting we might see new mid-range 7800 XT graphics cards in the near future. The model names don't really tell us any specs, except that it has 16 gigabytes of memory as expected. And finally, this is coming from me personally, everybody. I can confirm that Navi 32 supposedly is still not expected to be ready until quarter three. Although I guess we could say quarter three starts in July, but personally, it mm. seems to me like AMD is preparing an RX 7800 XT 16 gigabyte based on a gaming version of the W7800, which is to say Navi 31, 70 compute units. And then Navi 32 is being verified for launch right now at AMD for probably the 7800 non-XT down to the 7700 non-XT to fill out the $400 to $600 market late this summer when Navi... 22 and Navi 21 finished selling through. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think that any Navi 32 product would make much more sense as a 7800 non-XT the more I've been thinking about it this week. And uh, the fact that that hasn't been registered yet makes me question why anyone would assume the upcoming 7800 XT uses Navi 32. Think about it. If the 7800 XT uses Navi 32, wouldn't they also register a Navi a 7800 non-XT because of the disabled version of it? Yes. Wasn't the 4060, so. like 7900 XTX and XT were registered at the same time? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. To be fair, though, I can't really be 100% sure of what the 7800 XT will use. All I can say is it seems like 
there's multiple different stories pointing to 16 gigabyte mid-range cards coming out from AMD before the end of summer. So what did you think about all of this, Dan? Um, you know, I, <laughs> I think it's good to finally see Navi 32, like, going somewhere <laughs> because there's been a weird thing around Navi 32 specifically where I, I don't know what your opinion is on this. I, I don't know if it's something went wrong and that's why it, it hasn't come out it, because it's conspicuous that 32 came is coming out after 33. Um, well, that was always the plan to be clear okay. all the way back to, I think, I think early last year I was told 31 and 33 with 33, maybe even launching before 31, uh, which let's be clear about that. <laughs> they may have had 33 let ready before 31, but held it to launch because of the oversupply issues guys. But <laughs> those two are always going to launch around the same time as the initial plan. And 32 is always supposedly going to come. I think I always heard quarter two this year at the earliest. So okay. it's coming out later than expected. Maybe, but, Honestly, for me, not that much later. I think AMD's plan always was to have a dirt cheap six nanometer offering, 33, and the new flagship. And they always knew they were going to have a lot of high end cards from last gen to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, m- maybe it's not. But the not fact delayed, that they haven't but... showed it literally at all, I agree with you. It's, it, it, it is odd. They haven't literally even showed it. Also. <laughs> Yeah, because I I don't know. There's a huge gap in their market that Navi 32 is seemingly supposed to fill out with how many different models then? Three, four, possibly? Yeah. Or, I don't know. That's I don't know. There There's something weird with that. Uh, you would think they would want to launch the XT and the non-XT 7800 variants. The 7800 XT and non-XT at the same time. I, th- I think Unless releasing those things in Unless one of them uses a bigger die. <laughs> Yeah, that's Unless true. Unless <laughs> one of them's ready now and the other isn't ready yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that that's what I think too, you know. And I saw some people talking in the Moore's Laws to Discord, like, why would they need a lot of yields of 70 compute units for the 7800 XT? Like, why would you need to disable? I mean, I guess let me just do the math exactly just to get it right. Uh 70 divided by 96 like what yeah how many yields do you really have that need to be disabled down by like 27 percent or something you know and not that many on a 300 millimeter squared die mm-hmm. but th- think about this though and this has explained to me by an engineer at one of these uh, gpu companies what you're gonna have is a couple defects that are very common and that's what your 10 to 20% disabled yields are going to be turned into. You want to mm-hmm. catch the amount of defects that make sense for percent of yields. So maybe only 10% of them have a one bad defect, but maybe there's two different types of bad defects depending on where it is on the die. So what you do is you disable for both of those. That's yeah. where you get the 7900 XT. Then the 7800 XT, maybe there's almost none of them that have three bad defects but maybe there's five types of bad defects you're gonna make that bottom yield catch all of them instead of launching five variants on the bottom that are all different kinds of cards although that is kind of what nvidia did with ga 102 with ampere if you think about it but that's (laughs) a rarity you usually don't do that and so that's why the 7800 xt would be disabled all the way down to 70 compute units so they can take all these different types of disabled then just cut the rest of it out all at one thing also no one said they're going to make a lot of these yeah i, I and you know those heavily disabled uh cards uh, 
They're uncommon, but they do happen. I mean, I think that suggests like what it did with NVIDIA, where they just went with it sounds like a similar type of defect that they got with uh they just had more types of them and so that is why they literally decided to make all of those different 30s yeah. 3090s a5000s i mean it definitely suggests that something went wrong with navi 31's manufacturer i would say which i think we already pretty much know so i don't think so um well, I mean, maybe with the architecture's performance, but yeah. no, Dan, with the yields, what I hear is they just haven't sold nearly as many 7,900 XTs as they want to, and they need to find a way to sell it for less. I mean, so if you have a five, five or whatever number, we're it's a hypothetical A 5% of yields actually yeah. are that bad and aren't high clocking enough to be the W7800 at a lower voltage. Mm-hmm. And then you also have these worse power consumption versions of the 7900 XT that would become the 7900 XT and cheaper AIB models if it was selling well they go yeah we're gonna take half of those and just make the 7800 XT get rid of them yeah yeah cutting their losses <laughs> with right. the 7900 XT because at a certain point eh, there's just not enthusiasm for the 7900 XT and maybe it would be better if you could keep the price somewhat inflated by not having a bunch of shitty models of 7900 XT come out Right, and you know, if I pull up the seventy nine hundred XT specs, let's see, we got da, 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 yeah three fifteen watt TDP. So maybe what they do too is they just say, you know, making it like a two eighty watt TDP or or somewhere between there and three hundred that will make the board cost a little cheaper. Removing a couple MCDs, mm-hmm. maybe we're removing another ten twenty bucks. Removing another four gigabytes of RAM, another 20 bucks. Maybe it is getting to the point where a 7900 XT makes a certain margin at like 750 to 800. And then this can kind of just be like, you know, 20% weaker, but also cost 50 bucks to 100 bucks less total. And then we're just going to bite the bullet and make it 600. But what this will allow us to do is we'll have two ways we can divert bad yields. And if we find out, hey, People really like a more efficient 6900 XT for 600. They like that way more than they like a, you know, $800 overclock 6950 XT. <laughs> <laughs> like if they find that, this happens, guys. They can just say, yeah, we're going to disable these into that. That happens with a lot of those six core models, actually, with Zen Plus. No, yeah. Almost none of those yields had to be six cores with Zen Plus, but they just said, well, that's the model that's selling, so we're going to cut the cores down and whatever, you know, bundle a cheaper cooler with it. You know, so that's it just gives AMD some flexibility to divert into two different price points, and one of them costs $50 less to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, so, so I, I suppose that makes sense. Um, and then hopefully with Navi32, we get a bunch of cool, not cool, but a bunch of decently priced mid-range GPUs. <laughs> Yeah, but but otherwise, guys, I just got to say, too, again, I guess maybe they use Navi 32 for the 7800 XT. And if they do, I would suggest they fix something in Navi 32. But from what we've seen so far, Phoenix and many, Navi um, 33 don't 60 compute units. Phoenix okay. and Navi, which remember the 6800 XT had 72. Yeah. So, so far, Phoenix and Navi 33 maybe seem a little better than Navi 31, relatively speaking, but not much. You know, and I think there's just no way around it. You know, you look at like what is it, uh, 32? I think compute units, and 
the let me just double check that then rx6 yeah so look guys it's a smaller die size so that's impressive but ultimately the 7600 is like five to 10% stronger than a 6650 XT with the same amount of compute units. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's smaller, so you might want to factor that in. But no matter how you dice it, it just seems like RDNA 3 is about 20% better per compute unit. Some would argue if I'm being generous. And so yeah. if that's true, I don't know how Navi 32 outperforms the 6800 XT with 60 compute units. It won't. It's going to be at best the same performance. And therefore, that would be better as the 7800 which would be fine if they just made no 7800 XT, but we're seeing registers for a 7800 XT. So that is where I continue to have the opinion of what I said, by the way, months ago, that it seems like Navi 31 might be used for the 7800 XT. Yeah, I mean, all roads seem to be pointing to that. So <laughs> at yeah. this point. Um, but anyways, let us now move on to story number four. For the first half of this year, have you felt like a dog chasing its tail as you scour CD websites and eBay to find any place you can get reasonably priced Microsoft products? Well, you don't need to do that anymore. Just go to cdkeyoffer.com, the best place to get Microsoft operating systems, office products, select games, and even some gaming hardware peripherals for reasonable prices and you know they're always doing special promotions right now in fact they are doing their mid-year sales event that you're not gonna want to miss so whether you're looking for steam ea uplay or playstation keys or of course microsoft products or gaming peripherals support moore's law is dead by using the offer code broken silicon for 25 percent off all microsoft products and die shrink for three percent off everything else on the website support moore's law is dead by supporting one of our best long-term sponsors cdkeyoffer.com today amd details bergamo zen 4c and mi300 at their ai and data center technology premiere Mm. quoting here from anantech a rather large post but i think this is a good summary of it all on june 13th amd finally announced their long-awaited high-density bergamo server cpus these are based on amd's density optimized zen 4c architecture the new epic chips offer up to 128 cpu cores 32 more cores than amd's current flagship genoa and amd actually first teased bergamo and zen 4c over 18 months ago outlining their plans to deliver a higher density epic cpu destined particularly for the cloud computing market The Zen 4C cores will use the same ISA as AMD's regular Zen 4 architecture, making both sets of architectures fully ISA compatible and with the same IPC, but one of them functions with a denser design. Despite these density-focused improvements, Bergamo is still a hefty chip overall, though, in regards to the total number of transistors in use. A fully kitted-out chip is comprised of 82 billion transistors down from the roughly 90 billion transistors in a full Genoa chip, which means it actually probably costs less to make than Genoa, Mm -hmm. guys, which accounting for the larger number of CPU cores available with Bergamo works out to a single Zen 4C core, being about 68% the transistor count of a Zen 4 core, and amortized over the entire transistor count of the chip. The higher core counts and less aggressive clock speeds make the resulting chips on a core-for-core basis more energy-efficient than Genoa, which for AMD's target market is a huge consideration, given that power is one of their greatest ongoing costs. As part of today's presentation, AMD is toting that a 2.7 times improvement in energy efficiency is what you would see for a Bergamo chip over Sapphire Rapids. Now, moving from Zen to CDNA, 
AMD also offered an update on the status of their nearly finished AMD Instinct MI300 accelerator family. The company's next-generation HPC-class processors, which use Zen 4 CPU cores in CDNA 3 GPU cores on a single package, have now become a multi-SKU family of XPUs. The previously announced 128GB MI300 APU, first leaked by Moore's Law's Dead, by the way, everybody, which is now being called the MI300A, offers the design AMD has already detailed, which is 24 Zen 4 cores, 128GB HPM3 on a complex 5 plus 6 nanometer tile design. However, they have now also announced a more AI and compute-focused chip dubbed the MI300X, first leaked by Door TV, that uses just CDNA3 GPU tiles rather than a mix of GPU and CPU tiles, making it a pure high-performance GPU paired with 192 gigabytes of memory aimed squarely at large language models market. The MI300X is designed for customers who need all the memory capacity they can get to run the largest of models. With these announcements, AMD has solidified that they're years ahead of Intel in traditional multi-core server performance and that they're doing a flexible XPU design at least three years before their rival Intel. Whereas Intel has now scrapped their combined GPU and CPU Falcon Shores products for a pure GPU Falcon Shores, AMD is now slated to offer a flexible GPU CPU family by the end of this year, years before Intel, despite Intel, I think, arguably announcing that crap before them. However, AMD undoubtedly wishes yeah. they had MI300 sooner, and that is because demand for AI accelerators has been through the roof for much of the past year, and MI300s will be AMD's first opportunity to make a significant play for the market. Although AMD seems behind NVIDIA, their investors are still undoubtedly hoping MI300 will become AMD's versions of a license to print money for the AI boom by the end of the year um, that Team Green has already secured the ability to do already. All right, Dan, there was that big AI premiere. That's my write-up from Anantech of the whole thing. What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, hopefully the AI boom works out because the, for, for AMD because, uh, yeah, they're pushing into it now at an almost awkward point where, like, NVIDIA has secured so many contracts for uh, for doing AI uh, that I'm a bit worried this is just going to come to the market a little bit late. Although if this thing goes for like five, 10 years, I, I guess they'll be rolling in money. <laughs> right. That's something I've discussed with you and something I said both on the recent loose ends and in that uh, Intel is an AMD's rearview mirror video. Um, like, if your argument is that NVIDIA should be worth over a trillion dollars because they're about to make heaps of money for this many years because they're ahead and they have the right product, well, if that's assuming this this will be a booming segment that's wildly out of control and money for years, if it's going to go on for years, AMD has really impressive chiplet hardware that should be very competitive with NVIDIA. So if you're mm -hmm. betting on the market getting that big, You'd be an idiot to not assume AMD is going to at least take a lot of the hyperscaler part of it. And uh, if you don't think that, then that means you think NVIDIA is just shifting their capacity because they have to after the blockchain bust into AI short term, which if that does happen, well, AMD if, missed the boat, then that was a chance to save their financials this year in a way NVIDIA did. I mean, uh, NVIDIA's architectures are also, for the past few years, have been pivoting hard into AI. So I'd be surprised if. If they both made that miscalculation, I mean, there's going to be a huge <laughs> crash in the, the market. 
at some point, even though NVIDIA has secured some massive contracts for uh, their Hopper GPUs that I've seen. But mm-hmm. eh, I don't know. This is a big bet. I think this is more of a gamble for AMD that they just based on where the market is right now, they kind of have to make. But the one thing that worries me with all of these booms and busts is a a bunch of companies want AI hardware right now, but it hasn't been monetized the software in that well yet in a lot of ways. So there's like a lot of AI research going on right now. There's all these large language models that are coming out that I don't, quite understand how they're making money i mean they'll figure out how to monetize it eventually i'm sure but someone will but not it, all of them, it, it does always worry me when it's like you see investors like buying into a technology simply because it's a new technology even though its use case isn't incredibly clear at this point right and it's not to say that there aren't important use cases i i already think the ai management email secretary thing you know, throwing together drafts of PowerPoints for you stuff that that seems like a legit thing here. And I think the idealization, I think, is what they're calling it now to a lot of developers to me of art. So they make the final art that's not copyrighted by anyone else and has their own unique takes on it. But maybe they use AI to generate a bunch of concepts to give them an idea before they start work. Oh, yeah, I think that's useful. But, you know, when the dot when the dot com bubble burst, it's not because the internet wasn't going to be this magnitude shifting thing. It's just eighty to ninety percent of the use cases were either ahead of their time or bullshit. And ten <laughs> yeah. percent of the people made a killing. And those a lot of those companies are still around and doing better than ever. But ninety percent of the money spent might have been a waste back then. Yeah, I, I, and I don't know. I think it's hard to. I think it's hard to imagine that something similar to that doesn't happen. Maybe it's I'm almost wrong, inevitable but... it's going to. Yeah. And so, so if you assume that, who's going to be the winners? Who's going to be the losers of that bubble? Well, depending on how the bubble lasts, NVIDIA is clearly a winner for it. And mm-hmm. AMD could be a winner for it. So I think if this goes on for five years, I think both hardware, the hardware manufacturers are going to make a killing, even if they're selling... Uh, products to a bunch of stupid companies that haven't uh, <laughs> that don't actually ha- haven't thought out what they're doing with AI. Uh, I mean, it really doesn't matter to AMD or NVIDIA what they're doing with their they're buying GPUs it right as now. long as they yeah. buy them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that gets us to why I made that video. Uh, Intel's in AMD's rearview mirror, but NVIDIA isn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, from where I'm sitting, Intel's going to have an answer to MI300 and everything NVIDIA has in three or four years, probably right when the bubble bursts. Yeah, I, I mean, when you look at where Intel is right now, it, it, it does increasingly feel like the only competitive place they're in is consumer CPUs and everywhere else. And that's a market that's not that reliable, nor as big as like just hyperscalers. Yeah, and yeah, when it comes to server hyperscaling, cloud, AI, GPUs, it's either AMD or NVIDIA that's dominant in any of those. Or some other custom competitor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because there's a thing that we always... Yeah, there's a thing we always forget about there. It's like, oh, there's this company that nobody cares about that i mean that no consumer cares about that makes a killing in this one specific use case yeah um and then they're competitive intel is competitive against amd in consumer cpus but 
I think it's important to emphasize competitive. They're not winning. They're just they're they're I think on relatively equal footing right now. In performance, but not in manufacturing cost nor efficiency, True. which yeah. is two thirds of the fight, right? Well, it's two thirds of the fight, uh, and I think there's still some consumer goodwill from certain people by at Intel that's driving people to buy Intel CPUs. But right, yeah, because it's like there's the raw performance, then there's the amount of energy to get that performance, then there's what you can charge for that performance. And so far, AMD has better efficiency. They're selling 170-watt CPUs against mm-hmm. Intel's 300-watt-plus CPUs, and then they have uh, the ability to make them for less money. The only reason they cost competitive with Intel is because they choose to. They could be less. So yeah. it's 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 a, it's kind of a disaster in that department. And, and, you know, I was talking to one of the contributors, Karen Nosugata, who pointed out, you know, Everyone talks about how entrenched Intel is in their part of the market and server, which they are. Maybe 40% is never going to switch, but that's standard server customer entrenched people. They're not growing. The growing markets are AI and hyperscaler and cloud, and that's what AMD is doing way better. So that explains more why AMD is going to take more and more of that market as well. And it's just, I don't know, you know, it's just, at least right now, NVIDIA's winning. If this bubble goes on for a while, you could see AMD catching up uh, and getting some really big contracts. But with Intel, I just go, I don't know, guys. It looks bad. It looks like not only are they in a losing war of attrition and client in other places, but in server, uh, it's, you know... It's a hard battle for them to keep fighting. And then in AI, and then in all of the new stuff like AI, they are just late to the party again, just yeah. like they were with cell phones, just like it gets just on and on and on. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the only hope is if Intel, for Intel, is if they arrive late to the party, hopefully they can sell their CPUs or whatever their processors, I'll, I'll just call them at this point. Uh, hopefully they can sell them at a reasonable price because. Eh, I mean, maybe they're late to the market, but if they offer a good price at the time, some people will still buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least that's the bet they're clearly making at the end of next year because they've bought up tons of TSMC and prepared a ton of their own capacity for it. But let us now, though, on another note, move on, or actually on a similar note, move (laughs) on to story number five, where Zlazdead drops several Turin AI leaks. One thing AMD did not reveal last week at their data center technology premiere was anything having to do officially with Zen 5. But don't worry, this channel had you covered. While Tom was on break and Dan was dying from COVID, the following was leaked. Turin AI allows customers to use up to six AI chiplets, each one instead of a Zen 5 chiplet on that Epic SoC. What this means is a customer can decide to have half of the performance of an H100 included in a thin... APU-like product that doesn't require a PCIe card, or they can use less AI chiplets to get exactly what they need for a certain accelerator workload. Additionally, leaked benchmarks from this channel show that AMD expects a Turin CPU with a single AI chiplet to outperform Sapphire Rapids and accelerator workloads while destroying its CPU performance because everyone, I believe that would mean at least 64 Zen 5 cores versus 60 Sapphire Rapids cores. That's not going to be a competition. And also, they think, at least right now, AMD is proposing internally that two AI chiplets in a Turin 5, a Zen 5 Turin um, CPU 
should be able to beat a Granite Rapids 86 core or 84 core, actually, in their slides, assuming they're assuming Intel disables two cores. So keep that in mind as well, because everyone talks about how Granite Rapids goes up to at least 120 cores. Right. That's the AP bigger socket that comes out late next year, not around Turing, guys. So, you know, at the end of the day, AMD, and, and you know, if we're talking about what do I think is going to win, 84 uh, Redwood Plus Cove cores or, you know, maybe 64 Turin cores. I don't I mean, I know 128 is going to crush that, but I, I I don't know, Zen 5 versus Redwood Cove Plus. I think Zen 5 is going to have a slight IPC advantage, probably boost higher. There's a chance they may just beat Granite Rapids at everything too with Turin AI and then have a 128 core offering for standard workloads, Vcash models, and a 192 core model for cloud customers. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like a bad year again next year for Intel in server, client, and AI. Dan, what are your thoughts? I, I mean, Turing, Turing, Turing <laughs> sounds like it if it is that fully like customizable and eh, that's going to be a, an offering that depending on like how small of a, a, a server blade they can make that could beat out certain cu- like H100 customers. Because some of them uh, don't need that much compute. They just need the ability to run these types of AI workloads and then have a ton of RAM. And then yeah. if you can make it half as big, use half the energy of an H100 chip. GTH H100 chip uses like 700 watts, by the way, guys. Yeah, a lot of people yeah, might and, go for that. And then that would be what? If you had six AI chiplets, that would be 80 cores, right? Um, Something like that? I, I honestly don't know. All okay. I know is I've seen <laughs> benchmarks with 64 core models. I don't know why it's limited to up to six in the documentation I saw. I don't know okay. if that means that each AI chiplet takes up two eight-core CCDs. I don't know. Uh, or or 16-core even. Maybe Turin AI is just using Zen 4, Zen 5C, I think I might have even heard. I, I don't know. It, I think that's actually plausible, by the way, that what I saw with one of the benchmarks was would it, maybe like two AI chiplets, and each one is a Zen 5C chiplet that's bigger than a Zen 4 chiplet. I, I don't know. It's hard for me to say. Yeah. But it goes up to six, which is about half the performance of H100. I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's just to say uh, it gives them the AI capability on an APU to not quite be as strong as like what their dedicated GPUs will uh, are, are going to have in the future. But you get, you know, a strong hybrid between CPU and uh, and the AI performance and hopefully a small package. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I don't know. It's it, it to me seems. Hopefully, uh, on the same vein of what we were talking about in the previous story, AMD seems to be betting pretty hard on AI over the next two years, so at every level of performance. So hopefully it works out for them. Although I do think something like this is more of a safe bet because this isn't going all in on uh, AI computing. No, NVIDIA seems much more to be going all in on AI. In fact, I've seen people argue, and I think somewhat justifiably, they're not, they don't even make graphics cards anymore anyways. They make AI cards and then find a way to use it to make graphics. Oh, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely a strong argument for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Bullethead writes in and asks, has AMD put any thought into a prosumer Zen 5C, or Zen 5, I'm sorry, CPU with an 8-core CCD and an AI engine chiplet instead of dual 8-core CCDs on AM5? 
I wouldn't expect the best bins of the AI engine chiplets in such a product, but I feel like it would at least be useful to anyone trying to run a local AI instance of Stable Diffusion or a smaller LLM for coding. Yeah, well, and at a minimum, they could probably make a custom IO die, squeeze some stuff out, and put like a 16-core Zen 5C with an AI engine chiplet. That might be a really interesting like developer board for universities. Uh, yeah, I suppose. I, I mean... Am I wrong? Isn't that kind of similar to what Phoenix is? Or I, I actually don't know how much space the AI engine takes up on Phoenix. So uh, it's a very small amount of space. Okay, um, so it's, it's not much, really much. It's not a dedicated chip. Well, my memory. Uh, well, I leaked this, so let me just open <laughs> up. Right, Strix Point. I, I think, and I think Phoenix is like twelve tops. I think Strix Point is aiming for 20 tops based on my documentation and 40 tops for Strix Halo. Each okay. one of these AI engine chiplets, Dan, if you'll remember from what we are looking at here today, is about two, like 250 to 300 tops. So, I mean, we're talking about each one of these AI engine chiplets being... An order of magnitude. Yeah, I mean... Ten to twenty times stronger than what's in the APUs. From what I've heard, the yeah. APUs can do everything an AI chip can. It's just not meant to be crazy strong. Just be able mm -hmm. to do it to again do things ten times like a thousand times faster than a GPU. Not do things remotely as fast as a real AI card. Okay. Eh, I mean, so yeah, I, I suppose then if they dedicating an, ent an entire AI engine chiplet would be interesting if that's possible. Although what. I don't know if it is based on what you said what you said about like we don't really know how many how much space an AI engine takes up at this point. Yeah. You know? Well, it, well except that it's a very small amount of space on Phoenix. Um and I, I would also say to Bullethead, I think it would make far more sense to just slightly update the IO die for Granite Ridge and just give it the Phoenix AI engine. Like just mm -hmm. put that on the IO die or something. Um, although up until now, I really don't have any proof they're doing that because everything I've seen is the same amount of PCIe lanes. Everything I've seen is like some reductions in capabilities. So I think it would make sense. Like if you're going to have Phoenix have an AI engine and then you're going to launch Strix Point with an AI engine, are you really then going to launch Zen 5 to AM5 using the, literally the same IOTI? Wouldn't you want to at least update that to like two RDNA3 plus compute units and an AI engine on there? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's just not worth the money because no one would use it on desktop. I don't know, but I that's what I would think. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine there will be a use for it on a, a desktop. So eventually, at least. At least then you can argue like your PC is not going to fall behind in all of these capabilities. But yeah. Um, QH Freddy writes in, would Vcash have much use on Bergamo or other compact core parts? Is it worth the design effort? Honestly, I'm not sure it would make sense. I mean, Bergamo seems to accomplish the same IPC as Genoa while having less cash. So for the things it's going to be used for, I don't know why you'd use Vcash. Remember, I don't think that, I guess I don't know. I don't know if that Vcash die would easily fit on a Bergamo die. Remember, those Zen 4C chiplets are a different shape. So would they have to design a custom Vcash chip for that? Wouldn't would those people just be using Genoa X anyways? I don't know. I don't think it really makes sense. And then if you think of it from a consumer standpoint, is a gamer going to choose an 8-core at 5 gigahertz with Vcash or a 16-core at 3 gigahertz with Vcash? I think we know what gamers are going to choose, right? The 16-core. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The 8-core, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it seems to me like it's 
doing the th- it, it's reducing die size and then per core i mean size per core and then at re-adding on with a different tile it seems i don't know like kind of like a backwards way of doing it where amd i think is kind of moving to just having three different types of cores that are broadly similar they just have different amounts of ram, uh not ram cache on them right and hit different clock speeds yeah you know and so I, it kind of seems like a similar thing's going on with Zen 5, except more of the APUs will have like a unified four big and eight little, although they're really all big cores, just one of them is a little more dense, mm-hmm. doesn't clock as fast. Um, and and I think Zen 6 is when they're going to consider that. But I think you'd want to like build an architecture fundamentally from the ground up. Like Zen 4, Zen 1 through Zen 4 are all iterating into a better version of the same thing. And then Zen 5 is kind of like Zen 3 in that it redoes a lot of the stuff. But it's still like fundamentally steps forward. I think if you were going to have tiny cores that can have cash put on them, you're just going to want to do that from the ground up for all of the benefits an IPC you could get if it was solely built to do that. Mm-hmm. That's what I think Zen 6 is going to do. Um, but not yet. Not now. Not Bergamo. Um, all right. Now, let us then move on to story number six, AMD R5 5600X3D rumors. Over the past week, several rumors have appeared detailing the potential launch of an R5 5600X3D for AM4. This would be a Zen 3-based six-core SKU that leverages the full layer of Vcache that the 5800X3D also uses for potentially very similar gaming performance to that legendary 5800X3D in many scenarios. However, one would have to ask, what would this cost? Or really, what should this be priced at? After all, the 5800X3D is currently selling for around 250 to 300 in the do-it-yourself market. So should the 5800X3D be 200 or 5600X3D be $200? Many people also then forget that the Zen 4-based R570-600 is currently already close to $200, and it comes with a cooler and actually trades blows with the 5800X3D. So... Well, according to yours truly, and first leaked in the recent loose ends, the 5600X3D indeed sounds real, according to my sources, but it also sounds like it's mostly meant for OEMs. Now, that's not to say that it won't launch to do it yourself eventually, nor that AMD may change their minds entirely. Either way, just not launching it or bringing it to do it yourself. But that does not make that much sense to me. To me, it makes sense to launch a 5600X3D, which again, let's remember, would probably be the same price and performance as the already out 7600 if it's to give to OEMs to get rid of their AM4 motherboards because they need to do something to help OEMs use AMD motherboards while Intel ships nearly free Alder Lake i5s because of their oversupply. That is what I believe is going on with the Mm -hmm. 5600X3D. At a minimum, though, it does exist, guys. It's out there. Yeah, I, I... I don't, this is a weird, kind of weird story to me because it's, how, how much cheaper could they get a 5600X3D, like if they're manufacturing it now and not just clearing out old stock, which is what I would assume this would have to be. How mm-hmm. much cheaper could they make a 5600X3D than a 7600 at 7600 or something i think it has to be 199 for i was gonna say for this to come out i i would want it to be below 200 maybe even 180 dollars to directly compete with budget 13th gen six core i5s 
Yeah, because that's presumably what this would be for. And I'm not opposed to them continuing to like sell uh, Zen 3 as their budget option. It just seems odd to release a 5600X3D now because it, I just don't know how much cheaper it would be to like make than something like a uh, cheaper Zen 4 CPU. I don't think it's much cheaper to make at all. I just think they've stockpiled the worst six core X3D yields they have left from Milan X. Mm -hmm. And this is how they get rid of AM4 motherboards at OEMs. Honestly, that's what I think this is. Could it come to do it yourself? I guess, but then it would have to be $200 for me to really consider getting it all. At $200, it's not not a really exciting product for AMD or anyone, I think. No, I mean, it would be be exciting if they could get it for... like put it out for like 160 bucks or something but <laughs> yeah i wouldn't bet money on that yeah i and again i think people forget this the 7600 is the same performance anyways guys in fact it might beat the six core it already is the same performance as a 5800 x3 it might actually beat the 5600 x3 and that's already about 200 bucks so yeah. they're launching the same performance as what you can get now on am5 for the same money but i guess if you have an am4 motherboard you don't need to get a new one that's an option but it's not it, to me, this this has to. It can't just be do it yourself. It's probably meant for OEMs, like I'm told. That just makes sense to me. Yeah, because once again, unless they were able to do it for an absurd price, no DIYer would buy this. <laughs> yeah. Well, not many DIYers would buy it. All right. Well, now let us shift gears to story number seven. This summer, Jesse's excited to lay back and, well, if we are being honest try to get some of my friends and family to give them their hamburgers, hot dogs, and noodles while we're making dinner and having cookouts. Which, honestly, I don't think she even really cares that much about which piece of human food she gets, whether it's healthy or not. But that's where me and her differ, because I do care. The older I get, the more I notice. The healthier I eat, the better I feel. And that's why I eat Vite Ramen. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers a ton of options for eating healthy, like their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, and their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break, whether at the office or working from home. Click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% off a variety of different products, including special bundles just for Moore's Law fans, raw nudes, if you want to make up your own recipe with these noodles, and other food products and cooking utensils as well. And remember that no matter what you get from Vite Ramen, if you use the link in the description and the offer code, you are supporting Moore's Law is Dead, in addition to supporting this plucky and rapidly growing company. So support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting Vite Ramen today. Intel 14th Gen Ultra updates. Well, It seems like various websites are now finally confirming what Moore's Law is Dead leaked months ago, that the Ultra branding for Meteor Lake is being introduced in order to differentiate mobile Raptor Lake refresh and mobile Meteor Lake products that are going to offer similar performance and core counts. But Meteor Lake has significantly better efficiency, new AI capabilities, and slightly better performance in some scenarios. Thus, it's the ultra version of Raptor Lake Refresh. Indeed, specifically, Video Cards has recently shared a picture of mobility products branding. And on the recent loose ends, yours truly confirmed Intel may even be dropping the i and i7 
in lieu of saying either Ultra 7 or Core 7 moving forward. The only odd thing about there this is that there are currently also rumors out there saying that Intel may do this on mobile, but keep the eye for i9-14900K and desktop variants, but not in the mobility variants, which I guess is possible, but that at least seems weird to me, and I can't confirm anyone I've talked to says that's going to happen. Either way, though, what I would say is it's clear that the eye branding is planned to be obsolete by the time Aerolake comes out. Uh, well, I'm glad Intel isn't making their marketing confusing, Tom, because this sounds like it will be a nightmare until they um, until they fully transition to just doing, I don't know how they want to, do they just want to go back to core seven? I mean, or like the core marketing that they had before they introduced the i7 stuff. Uh, because yeah, that- I... I I, I don't want there to be a world where they distinguish between ultra and core for uh, uh, down their product stack. Cause that just sounds obnoxious to me. <laughs> I think it's meant to be a temporary thing, you know, which means they'll just go to all ultra in the future or something. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, I just don't, I don't get it. You know, I think you might do ultra seven and then call it U seven in the future. I don't like how that sounds really though. Uh, I don't know. I think maybe just always leaving Ultra there is like a... Because Lunar Lake coming, I've heard, is a similar thing. Like, Lunar Lake's supposed to be an ultra-efficient kind of like Cougar Cove early, lower core count, though, version of what they will have out with like Arrow Lake at the same time or something, if I'm remembering correctly. So there might always be this thing where they're having like half steps. And, you know, Meteor Lake uses Intel 4. Uh, and then Intel 3 is the improved version. Then 18A is the improved version of 20. That's really meant for all types of products, not just one tile. And so on and so forth. So they're kind of doing this leapfrogging technology thing too. So there might be multiple instances in the next five years where Intel has like half-step architectures that have the next-gen IPC, but not higher clock speeds and core count. Maybe this would make sense then, but if you're going to do that, I don't know why you get rid of I. I would get rid of the word core. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean... If Intel is going to keep moving into this world where I, I guess we don't know exactly how all of these architectures are going to shake out uh, over the next four or five years, maybe Intel is going to continually have more architectures or like half step architectures coming out concurrently with new architectures like Meteor Lake and uh, Raptor like refresh will how, like how they'll coexist. Who knows? And. I guess in that world, it would make sense to have a way to differentiate between the two architectures. Now, this is the version that costs more, but is on a cutting-edge node and has a new engine in it or something. That's why you get this. But again, you know, me and you talked about this. So the reason they want to drop I is Meteor Lake is the start of their client-tiled, ultra-efficient architectures. And I can't help but go... If that's what you're going to do, though, why would you not drop core? Because I sounds old. Well, core is from fucking core 20 years ago. Like (laughs) nothing sounds older than core. And it's also a more generic term. I know anyone in this space understands core, core duo, core extreme. Mm -hmm. But to a layman, core, everyone is cores. Intel core. What do you mean core? (laughs) CPU core. Why would you not keep I? i7 and then ultra 7 you can put u9 for the this is the ultra variant but removing core is just 
I mean, keeping core and calling it core seven, if that's what they actually do, is just bizarre to me. Yeah, it also kind of just sounds stupid and is confusing because it kind of sounds like it's they're calling it a seven core. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, core seven. Yeah. Whatever, I don't know. though, Intel. I, I don't know what you're doing with your branding right now. They're, they're, this is always what happens, though, when a company... When a company is in a rough spot, like when, remember when AMD wasn't doing super well and they were yes. like, well, I think the way we reinvigorate Radeon is by changing the branding every two years. <laughs> yeah. Well, they went HD 7970 to R9 290, R9 390, RX 480, RX 5700X. Good Lord, AMD, stop changing the names of your graphics cards. But yeah. And, and you know, the start of that too is, yeah, like, cause Intel, like you would think, you know what, Intel, what you should do on laptop is you should make, you're still going to have the i9 24-core extreme variants of Raptor Lake R. Sure, that's your 24-core desktop replacement CPU. But would it really be so bad, Intel, if you just clocked Raptor Lake R a little lower for less performance, but also close to, not close to meteor-like efficiency, but significantly better efficiency than last gen, and you just said, hey, i9 6 plus 8, meteor-like. I know, and then you just, below that is Raptor Lake and so on and so forth. But, they're just going to call everything i9s and i7s, but some of them are ultra. It really reminds me of with Radeon, with the 200 series, R9 290X, R9 290, R9 285, uh, R9 280X, R9 280, R9 270X, R9 270. <laughs> I mean, good God, everything's a freaking r9 apparently here I, I think maybe 270 let me see did they did they do that too i just have to double check that's crazy yes it is called the r9 270 that's crazy you're yeah. going two-thirds of the lineups r9 and then to get to r5 you had to go like way down here it almost feels like what intel is doing with ultra 9 and r core 9 is like they just refuse to say hey raptor lake refresh isn't that high end yeah i know it's dumb but uh, that's that does seem to be what happens when a company is in a rough spot. They don't want to acknowledge that any of their parts aren't high end for some reason. <laughs> like, yeah, which I, I think ironically does the opposite of the effect they're trying to have, where it makes it sound like everything you make that you brand as your top end is kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. Whereas yeah, then you I have mean... something like NVIDIA. Who Nvidia's had pretty been con- pretty consistent with their branding for graphics cards since, te- like Tesla, right? Like the 200 series. I mean, it's basically been iterating on that since then. And you can say what well, they changed it a little bit once they got to the tw- uh, 20 series, but eh, it's kind of been the same since then. <laughs> no, yeah, it has. It's kind of been the same for over a decade, and it's because they just think their brand has power. They're going to launch it. This is the 40, this is the 80, this is the 70. They added a 90 eventually, but for the most part, they're keep the 60s, the mid range. And it's because they're coming from a place of a lot of strength and therefore initiative. Actually, where they got rid of the 80 for a while. Although I guess it depends on how you think of it at this point, because uh, (laughs) they had a a lot of 80s uh, come out as their top card besides the Titan for a while. And the only other thing I could say about this story is, again, 14th gen, Meteor Lake and Raptor Lake, for some reason, everyone argued against us online, Dan, that they were going to do that. Uh, Now it's true. And of course, they all apologized. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, they didn't. No (laughs) one did, of course. Um, But, you know, the only other thing I'd say, too, is I I hear Raptor Lake refresh is ready. Like, they're making it now. Like, Mm -hmm. he'll be ready quarter three. All this stuff. 
Um, I don't have exact ye- release dates on my end yet, but at least Raptor Lake Refresh is going to be ready very soon, and Meteor Lake should be ready qu- by quarter four. Mm-hmm. How much volume they'll have, I don't know, but expect to be able to get that 14900K, whether it's an I-9 or Core 9, fairly soon, everybody. Okay. <laughs> um, and I still hear 10 to 20% better than last gen. I guess, let me remind everyone that, too. Still here, Raptor Lake Refresh isn't just like 2% better. It's 10 to 20% better than Raptor Lake, which is, yeah, I think they might actually hold the crown on desktop then this year, and that'll be that. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, although they won't be more efficient, that's for sure. All right, let us then move on to story number eight. Apple's new Proton-like tool can run Windows games on a Mac. So quoting from The Verge, if you're hoping to see more Windows games on Mac, then those dreams might finally come true soon. Apple has dropped some big news for game developers at its annual Worldwide Developers Conference this week, making it for easier and quicker to far easier and quicker to port Windows games to Mac thanks to a Proton-like environment that can translate and run the latest DirectX 12 Windows games on Mac OS, much like how the Steam Deck does it. Apple has created a new a new game porting toolkit that's similar to what Valve has done. It's powered by source code from Crossover, a Wine-based solution for running Windows games on macOS. Apple's tool instantly translates Windows games to run on macOS, allowing developers to launch an unmodified version of the Windows game on Mac and then test it before fully porting the game. It translates Intel-based x86 instructions and Windows APIs to Apple Silicon. APIs related to keyboard, mouse, controller input, audio, playback, networking, file system even, and DirectX 3 are all translated to the corresponding API to macOS. So yeah, I mean, basically they can just take this, it translates it, and they just have to test it for like a week and make sure it works. Um, However, one of the biggest issues that still needs to be tested by the community, maybe gamers can now run the game, but will they run it well enough to even care? Most won't be optimized through this tool, and there are bound to be performance issues and bugs until developers create their own ports. Reddit users have already got Cyberpunk 2077 up and running on an M1 MacBook Pro, alongside Diablo 4 on an M1 MacBook Pro and Hogwarts Legacy on an M2 Max. The early results look promising despite some obvious performance limitations, but we could also be potential bugs from running games. Yeah, so I don't know. I looked at it. It, it it basically showed these things running worse than Rembrandt, though, I have to say. Yeah, I, that's what it looks like. I mean, that I don't know how people got them running on this, but uh, on the Mac. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. I, it, I, I think this is really promising. And if Matt got to a point where it was almost trading blows with PC for the same, like, theoretical... Perform- theoretical like power that their chips offer that i think for some people that would make mac a viable uh place to do ga- uh pc well yeah i guess you can call it pc gaming to do gaming uh where it just isn't viable in any meaningful way right now um i doubt this means that mac will become a full competitor in pc uh, for pc gaming but i mean always crossing my fingers that another entrant is going into the market because that I, I i don't see how that can be detrimental at least to us even if it doesn't necessarily offer the best performance well yeah absolutely i mean even if you're one of those apple haters if macbooks could run games as well as they theoretically should or at least 90 percent of them you know, some of these chips for Apple have really high-end specs and, like, unified 64 gigabytes of memory. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, if they could 
you know, if the latest thing could already perform kind of like a Strix Halo and you just get it early, but it costs more, but you also get this thin form factor that can game on battery for hours, that's going to bring competition to laptop. I mean, you're not going to get these bullshit gaming laptops that only have an APU and cost $1,500 if a Mac costs the same amount. Like yeah. this would push down pricing for some of the niche segments on uh, Windows PCs. Yeah, so I don't know. This is really cool. I mean, I think it. it I think to view it as viable versus PC gaming, uh, and it will always be uh, probably a little bit worse than PC. Uh, it needs to get to the same place where, like, at a minimum, where Proton is right now. Which I'm not saying it won't be that. Who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. it will release and it will be that good. But <laughs> yeah, and then if you just make this tool, you know, because I think it's always like that little bit of effort. It's always going to take some effort, but if you could at least get it to a point where there's that little extra, that's all that it seemed needed to happen to get a lot of Linux games working excellent. Uh, a lot of, I'm sorry, a lot of PC games running excellently on w- Linux. Like, mm-hmm. yes, you have people like I think Borderlands. Certainly, I know Metro Exit or Metro, the Metro series. You know, you have these games. They'll make a. They will just make the Linux version because I don't know. I guess 4A Games just likes being cool (laughs) you know you know and they will directly make the game work on linux Uh, and maybe mac but if you we've already seen like valve i don't even think has sold i guess let me google it and see so i mean it seems like they think it's 1.6 to 4 million somewhere in that region it's called 3 million by now steam decks have been sold which isn't bad but that's not the tens of millions of macbooks out there yet all they had to do is work with proton make it so that 90% 90% of the work is done for the devs. And then they just have to sit down and then you get that little checkbox on the page on Steam that says Steam Deck opt verified. Let's get that checkbox for at Mac verified. This is probably all that's required for 90% of these developers to make all of their games work on Mac at least 95% as well as it does on PC in an optimization level. If you could get there... Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Well, that know? would yeah, that would instantly open up the gaming market to a bunch of Macs. Which, eh, if you have a Mac and you're gaming, you probably have something else, anyways. But eh, that opens up the gaming market to a lot of different people. Uh, I don't know why you wouldn't want to check that box. And if enough games do check the box to work on Mac, eh, some people will maybe consider getting Macs instead of PCs, depending on the current environment. Yeah, and it'd be really cool if I had that option too, because I know Gerard, our audio engineer has a decent editing pc i think he has a 4090 now for rendering as well (laughs) uh but he also has a macbook um both for travel and so he can edit on the bus for if he's on or if he's on the train in spain for an hour he can edit something on battery and it won't die Uh, but he also just says you know audio editing on mac it's just more stable there's less bugs (laughs) there's less there every now and then both him and me we will make it we'll render a podcast or I'll render a video, and there'll just be a weird noise. Oh, randomly. I know. You've, you, it doesn't really happen anymore. I've isolated all of the factors that could make it happen, even though I didn't tell it to make that noise, guys. It was a glitch. And still, like I hear that just never happens on Mac. Like he says, it's just always stable. There's been times where he just couldn't fix a glitch and just redid his work on Mac. And that would encourage me to maybe consider getting that for editing while we're traveling or something. Yeah, and if you are like a music producer, which I believe Gerard does, yep. producing too. Yeah, so if you are a producer, 
I I just would do my editing on Mac then. <laughs> like that, that. And then if you told that, me, hey, now this it. can run Deep Rock Galactic and play Battlefield in 1080p, sounds good. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all right. Let us now move on then to the final wrap-up. These are the stories that we don't think deserve a main story, but they're certainly noteworthy enough for us to discuss them. Um, and actually, on that note... Didn't deserve a full story, but we'll stay on Apple. Uh, Apple M2 Ultra iterates 20% is what I wrote down as the cliff notes for this one. So Apple announced the, uh, well, they've announced a lot of things, right? They announced this gaming initiative that we just discussed in story number eight. They announced the Apple Vision Pro, right? Pro or Apple? Uh, Apple, yeah, I think it's Apple Pro Vision or Apple Vision Pro. I keep forgetting. <laughs> Apple, it is Apple Vision Pro. I just want to okay. make sure I said it right. Everything has to have Pro in it now, doesn't it? Um, they called it their VR device the Apple Vision Pro. Just so everybody knows, a whole one-hour video is out there about the Apple Vision Pro that me and Dan did. If you are a patron, $2 a month gets you access to that die shrink. So it's a video. It's with pop-ups. It's not just, you know, <laughs> it's not just a podcast. Um, that's out there if you support us. Um, I didn't really think that was worth discussing on this. We just saved it for a die shrink because it's a little less about gaming, but if you're interested, we made that. Also, Apple introduced the M2 Ultra, and this is uh, yet another 5 nanometer iteration. You know, it's it's not what they need. It's only 20% better than the previous gen. It You know, some things 10%, some things 40%, so let's just call it 20 to 30% better. Um, yeah. And the big upgrade's gonna be when they move to three nanometer next year um, or at the end of this year, actually maybe we've heard. So it is what it is. And it is interesting to see some benchmarks show the M2 non ultra, not really being better than Phoenix at a lot of things like Apple needs to get to three nanometer pretty soon here to keep their advantage. Yeah. I, I mean, this is seemingly what their, their launch cadence they're going to do. They're going to launch what probably next year or something M3 and m3 pro then six months after that there will probably be an m3 max and then a little bit after that an m3 ultra and yeah yeah, it's not a new architecture from what they released last year so there's not that much to say about it (laughs) right yeah no it's just an iterative soc there's not much to say it's powerful. I'm sure it's better than their old Intel Xeon Mac Pros as well. Yeah. I guess one notable thing, too, about the M2 Ultra Mac Pro is, uh, I guess, it basically gets rid of, finally, PCIe graphics cards, and it just has a bunch of slots for super fast SSDs hmm. and other cards as well, which is interesting. But I think we always knew they were going to go there. Mm-hmm. Um all right, and another thing we have, uh, what is this here? Momomo. U.S. Uh, found more evidence of Threadripper Zen 4 coming soon, especially Threadripper Pro, which just backs up what I've been saying, guys. Sounds like it's Threadripper Pro. Sounds like they don't want to have a budget Threadripper soon. And it's progressing, but I think it's at the end of this year. So if you've been wanting a new mm-hmm. HEDT from AMD, it's 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 not going to be cheap, and it's not going to be as soon <laughs> as you probably... You probably wanted it to be at the beginning of this year. It's going to be at the end. Uh, it seems to generally be what happens with Threadripper lately. I mean, over time. Yeah. They they might have to change their tune next year once Intel has Granite Rapids, but I think I've heard Granite Rapids is like late next year or even actually 2025 for HEDT anyway. So what competition? Um, 
Let's see here. Oh, you know, the RX 6700 seems to be basically sold out. Let me see. I got, oh, oh, a new one appeared from XFX, but I guess I will stand by. It's basically sold out. Like if you look at the 6710 gigabyte cards on the market, there's a new XFX one that popped up in stock again for 280 with $9 shipping I'm seeing here. But mm -hmm. the Sapphire model's up in price. And the only other one you can get is the MLLSE and 51 Risk Edition. I don't know what these companies are. So yeah, I think it's I mean, pretty clear this thing's selling out. Yeah, uh, that's what we said. Uh, if you want a car, if you want a card at this level of performance, the 6700 is going is there, but it's not going to be there forever. <laughs> They're yeah. clearing the channel. Um, Nvidia Beta Driver delivers SSD performance boost in DirectX storage 1.2. Gen 5 now 50% faster than Gen 4, whereas it was like 10% before in some games. So I don't know. I don't know that I have much to say about this, but it is interesting to see. And, and this is mostly still theoretical. This really isn't a game proving this yet from what I'm seeing, but it does look like direct storage will be maybe finally bringing us some PS5 load times to PC by the end of this year is kind of what I'm seeing. Eh, that's, what, that's what we're always waiting for, right? Is software to catch up to hardware. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Now, moving forward here, we actually have quite a lot of Xbox-related stories, it turns out, um, this episode. So let's go step by step here. Uh, first of all, Dan, Starfield, 30 frames per second, Digital Foundry saying the demos they're putting out are below 1300B. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, that's a lot worse than I would have expected. <laughs> I... I, I I don't know that. I don't know if this is a problem with Xbox, uh, Xbox's hardware in the future, or if this is just Bethesda being inept. Part of me suspects it's Bethesda being inept. I'm going to say it's probably mostly that. I I think it's a bit of both, but more so the split memory system of the yeah. Xbox Series X does not favor Bethesda's always been RAM heavy engine. I mean, look at the difference between there were some games with the PS360 where those consoles only had half a gig of RAM, where they actually punched above their weight compared to the PCs. Even years after those consoles were out, you had PCs with four to eight gigabytes of RAM. Getting the same graphics as a half gigabyte <laughs> of RAM console, but, I mean, not Fallout 3. That looked like a PS2 game on that <laughs> generation. Yeah. Bethesda games have always liked tons of RAM, and I, I just think that's what it is, is... It's not the console for a Bethesda game, relatively speaking, because it just always seems to need more RAM than most games for the graphical performance every gen. Yeah, I don't know. But it's just But it's mostly Bethesda's fault, is what I'm arguing. Yeah, I know. It's just with Bethesda. Like that's that's their thing, is they're always bad at <laughs> making their games work well. Like yeah. I I don't know what else to say about them. I, I mean I know they're a beloved studio, but Jesus, they need to get some people that don't suck at optimizing games. Yeah, and I'm just looking through the Digital Foundry stuff. I mean, have you looked at the footage at all? I'm looking at it now. I'm not seeing graphics that look like they should be running 1300p30 here. These look significantly worse than console games I've played recently. I mean, it doesn't look bad, but 30 frames, 1300p? 
Yeah. It, just, Even for an open world game. I mean, Warzone has these massive mile, multi-kilometer maps with hundreds of players. And it can run on console at, uh, it runs on PS4 Pro at 60 frames. And they're going to yeah. say, well, there's more things going on. Are there? I, I, I don't know. It's just Bethesda. Like when I first saw Starfield, I was like, oh, Bethesda finally made a game that looks like a modern game. But like, eh, its graphics aren't crazy. <laughs> compared no. to other games they look more modern than they used to but that's the most i can say and i think a lot of people want a higher frame rate option but guys uh, i am sure this is the thing i've seen in so many fallout games where there's just horribly inconsistent performance depending on where you look even stuff that's not on screen isn't properly cold and you'll look in one direction and it'll just drop from 60 to 30 i'm sure you remember that from Fallout 4 mm-hmm. um and i'm sure that's what's going on here and they just wanted a consistent experience and then also to get to 40 frames locked, which is what I wish they would offer as a 40 frames per second op- option, which would be, I would argue, acceptable on a console. Um, it, yeah, who knows? Maybe they'd have to drop to 1080p to do that. So, <laughs> you know, maybe that's why they're not. Um, yeah. I don't know what else to say. You know, we'll see. This game seemed like it was stuck in development hell. Um, hopefully it's good. But I-, I will say there's no way in hell I would get this on a console at 30 frames per second. I mean, is this... 2008 come on guys um and some people will say that's like oh why does why do i hate what were you defending 30 frames you peasant come on enough with the arguing about if i'm being harsh by saying 30 frames is ridiculous it's ridiculous on every console when it happens um also there's a one terabyte xbox series s for 350 again i don't think we need a story about this that's news though for gamers i really have a whole lot to say I would still say get the discless version of the PS5 for 50 more dollars and triple the performance. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Um, And uh, uh, this looks, I mean, look, the the Microsoft Activision deal is now dead. I mean, now it's being blocked by the US. It's blocked in the UK. That's the news that the US is moving, the FTC is moving to block it in the US. It's, uh, yeah. It's done. I think this deal's done. You know, I think me and you called it done a year ago. Uh, I think it's done. This isn't happening. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know how. Like people discuss it online as if it's still happening. I don't. I don't understand how it could still happen at this point. Yeah. No, I don't either. I mean, and you know, this is this is before possibly another regulatory body just shows up and blocks it as well. Whether it's you know. Brazil or Europe takes a second look at it. I just, it's, guys, I don't think it's happening. <laughs> yeah. And and frankly, when you see what Hellblade has a non-specific 2024 release date, Red Falls been a complete flop and Starfield runs at 30 frames. I don't know, guys. Like, do you really want Microsoft owning more studios? Like, can we just call spade a spade here? Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh- that's what I've been talking about this like the entire time we've been freaking running this podcast it is Microsoft gobbling up studios and how it's not going to go well for most of those studios. Yeah, I just don't think we expected you, that aspect of what we said to turn out that right. Yeah, like we thought it might happen to a certain degree. I, you agree. It's turning out worse than you expected. Oh, yeah, it, it is. And if they would have bought Activision... My assumption is that half of Activision Studios would be dead within 10 years. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, looks like that's not going to happen now. <laughs> um, and uh, what is it? Oh, and finally, Microsoft signals they're done 
trying to push games to also run on Xbox One, which, thank God. <laughs> yeah, I, I have nothing else to say. Like, it's time to retire the Xbox One. <laughs> this 1.3 teraflop console with DDR3. Guys, it has DDR3, not 4. It has DDR3, yeah. 8 gigabytes of DDR3. Which, if I mean, you could, were. Um, Jesus. <laughs> If you were active in online conversations at the time that this Xbox One came out, that was actually meant it would be better <laughs> than the GDDR5 on the PS4. The fanboy arguments get to <laughs> such insane levels of ineptitude that I don't even know what to say. Um, which I will say nothing more than. Um, let us then move on to the finer, finer, the finest and the final reader mails. Um, QH Freddy writes in and he says, will AMD start putting cores on their IO dies like Intel seems to be doing with Meteor Lake? Um, I think I get why they're doing it with Meteor Lake. You know, they've got all of these tiles. It's some would say almost overly complex for what it's doing. But, you know, if you can literally turn off the CPU tiles and have two tiles on the IO die, uh, for idle power savings, that would just be. In, in, immense power savings that makes mm -hmm. sense for meteor lakes design to me now for amd it's hard for me to say i guess but it's the reason they would do it with meteor lake is because it has all of these tiles but strix doesn't so you don't need it it can already yeah. and i've talked to people at amd they're like oh we already turn off and power gate parts of the apu already that's our solution but you know the reason you would put it on an IO die is to entirely turn off a Everything. full tile. Yeah. So AMD doesn't need to do this for Strixpoint. AMD doesn't need to do this for Phoenix, Hawkpoint, all that stuff. All right. Well, what about Strix Halo? Um, I guess I could see that one because it uses chiplets for the CPUs. Mm -hmm. And that's about it, though, because I don't know. Do you really think fire range needs that is that it gonna be put in the efficient laptops maybe i mean i guess if it just gained you four hours of battery life in typical usage that'd be worth it but well what, i kind of only see this for strix halo well will the strix halo io die be used in different i don't parts? know because if it is if they want to continue using the same io die for multiple parts i don't know i feel like it would make sense to not have those two extra cores on them possibly yeah. Well, it depends, too, because Intel has these smaller cores, although they're really not much more efficient than, like, Zen 2 in area usage. Mm -hmm. So the question is, is how AMD would do it. Can they take a single Zen 5 core, Zen 5C core, and put that on the IO die and just hard design that out? Maybe. And if they can, with hyper-threading, maybe that'd be a good option. But unless they're going to spend the design money to do that, I just only really see that being useful for Strix Halo. I don't think Fire Range is meant for efficiency. It's desktop replacement. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And I think their monolithic chips basically already do this, guys. <laughs> the only reason you do it is because you have a bunch of tiles to turn off the tiles. And I Strix Halo is the only one where that makes sense. Um, so I guess I could see it for that, but I wouldn't put money on it happening right away because half of their stuff's still monolithic anyways. Kerry mm -hmm. um, No Sugata writes in and asks... Will 2024 be the year of the APUs? Uh, why isn't this working? Come on. There we go. <laughs> uh, AMD has been pushing APUs for a long time, but they're mostly used in cheap, thin and light laptops or in a combination with a discrete GPU. They've not really come into their own yet, 
But I suspect with better Phoenix laptops this year, and especially Meteor Lake, we're going to start seeing this surge of APUs for low-end gaming laptops as well. 2024, this week come mainstream with Strix Point, Strix Halo, and Arrow Lake. Um, I guess the way I'm going to choose to address Harry's la- uh, question here is not if it's going to be the year of APUs. Look, Meteor Lake launches at the end of this year, followed by Strix Point, Strix Halo, Hawk Point, and Arrow Lake. So yeah, I think next year is the year year of the APUs. The interesting thing he touches on, Dan, do you think we're finally, do you think we'll see a gaming laptop come from HP, like the budget Omen line, and it is just an APU? Do you think they would actually do that? Uh, AMD has been advertising their APUs for that use for forever now, and they never really use it uh, except in like these weird semi, I don't know what you, I don't know what you want to call like, uh, Mini's PC forum, right? That's what it's called. Mini P. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what you mini want to call PCs it. or handhelds. Yeah, yeah, like they've been used for that now for a while for these like kind of niche like nuck makers, but they just haven't reached laptop for some reason. And I think Phoenix is the first time it, you can truly say like Phoenix is a low end, a, a good low end gaming GPU. I, I, I mean, has a good low end uh, iGPU. Um. And with Strix Point, I think it's just undeniable that, that that has to be one of the use cases Strix Point will go into is low-end uh, gaming laptops. And, I mean, Strix Halo, based on those numbers, Strix Halo should be, frankly, a Up mid-range, mid-range or high yeah, should be a mid-range GPU. I, I, I don't understand how it couldn't be that reality <laughs> next year. Like, there's, there's no way... AMD is making Strix Halo with the intention of pairing that with discrete GPUs. There's no way. <laughs> well, no. And well, let me look here though. I know what is it? The Lenovo Legion gaming laptops. Remember we had one of those with Ivy Bridge? Mm-hmm. Let me just look at what their options are for this. Cause I'm curious how because I think we got ours with a I believe it had a 750M, a GTX mm-hmm. 750M, and a quad core Ivy Bridge. We got it for like 700 bucks when we went to college or something. Yeah. So, all right, where, oh man, let me see if I can even organize this remotely What? well whatsoever. All right, we got Omen laptops. So they get down to, there's, oh yeah, let's just sort by lowest price. We got, all right, 850. And I'm guessing 3050, yep. So for $850, they give you a 12 core 16 thread. So what is that? Four, eight. Yeah, so like four plus eight or something, or or six plus four, probably. Six plus four, probably. So they have an i5 six plus four and an RTX 3050 laptop GPU. It says six gigabytes. Is that correct? Is there? Oh, there's six gigabyte 3050s. Okay. Well, so there you go. That's $850. Now, Strix Point will have for the same performance as a 3050 next year. I mean, I don't know what's cheaper, including a 3050 in there with it, or just giving it 32 gigs of RAM. And then you can also market it as 32 gigs of RAM gaming for like four or six hours and make it 750, 700. Do you think they're actually going to do that, though? Omen gaming laptop. Just Strix Point in it for like seven hundred. Would they actually do that? I, I I just don't see. 
I, I guess you can see how Strix Point is kind of just an iteration on Phoenix, but it feels like an iteration that it gets to the point where like about as strong as a thirty fifty now. And yeah, granted, it, there's a forty fifty that's way stronger than that, but it costs like twelve hundred dollar laptops. Yeah, it, it gets to the point where I, I have to imagine their intention is to try to pair. I, I, I imagine they're tra- going to try to pair Strix Point with some lower end uh, gaming laptops, mm-hmm. um, because it's at a point where Strix Point is almost uh, awkward to pair it with a discrete GPU, um, and unless I think it's just, way, way, way stronger. Yeah, but I think. But even I'm, then, you'd I, I almost rather, you'd rather use Hawk Point, right? Yeah, or, or you would rather have like a Dragon Range or, or the follow up to Dragon Range. I can't remember what that's called right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Rather than pairing that with Strix Point. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Fire Range. Yeah, Fire Range. Yeah. Like if you're gonna do that, you might as well just use Fire Range and give it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll see if they actually do that. Carry no Sugata, but. That's the type of thing I'm going to be looking for getting next year. You know, I got a 2060 Comet Lake laptop right now. I just want 64 gigabytes of unified RAM, 12 cores for editing and work. And then if it stays roughly 2060 performance, I don't care if it means I can do everything now without being plugged in. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's comical. Uh, I was actually downstairs today. And I wanted to, I pulled up Minecraft quick just because I wanted to see what the last map I played was. I was just curious. And uh, when I opened it, it was running at like 10 frames a second. It's like, oh yeah, it's not plugged in. (laughs) And it's like, I get that you'll get a performance loss not plugged in almost always, but this like fourfold drop is absurd that you see in some applications. And I'm just tired of it. Um, Amiable Chief writes in and says, Tom, if powerful APUs from AMD and Apathy from NVIDIA are going to ring in the death knell for low-end discrete GPUs. What do you see happening with the lower quality silicon that used to pass off as low-end? I mean, they're just not going to make the lowest-end ones, guys. I, you know, there's was every hard design costs millions of dollars designing, validating it. And people just seem to shit on them nowadays anyways. So what's the point of making the low-end die? They're still going to be low-end cards. They're just probably going to start at like 250 or higher forever now, and they're probably only going to make one every other generation. I mean, you're going to see stuff like the 7600, but that's it. I don't think there's a really a point in 7400 and probably not 7500 yeah. XT stuff anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The 7500 XT, if that comes out, I think it's just going to be a repeat of the 6500 XT, maybe a little stronger. It'll probably be a six gigabyte version of the 7600 for 200 yeah. bucks. So, I mean, maybe that will come out, but like, I feel like we've been talking about this since the idea of APUs like has existed, that eventually they're going to overtake the low-end market. And it seems like what it kind of just happened in reverse, where the low-end GPU market kind of became obsolete and how shitty it was and how yeah. it, how how unprofitable it was to design them yeah and, and now hopefully um things like strix point and strix halo uh or whatever is iterates after that will come to desktop and that will replace the low end not strix halo but you yeah, mean after strix, strix point yeah yeah, uh, yeah you're right after strix point hopefully that will the follow up to that will come in and that will occupy the low end market and discrete gpus might just eventually start at being essentially mid-range most of the yeah. time 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I think. And and so, you know, what's going to happen to low-quality silicon? They're just not going to make it. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. And the lowest yields of Navi 33 and Navi 43, which I don't think there's any plans for a 34 or a 44 based on people I've talked to, you know, there's just not going to be a four. A four. There will just be a three, and uh, it's going to probably stop at the three hundred dollar mark. And if AMD, they probably like to design it so that they kind of start at three fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, QH Freddy writes in and asks, "I don't really understand how AMD thinks it's going to be lambasted by the press for selling Strix APUs on AM5 according to CPU rather than GPU performance. If anything, the reviews are more likely to be negative if they push up the price based on the iGPU." Good, Freddie. I think you misunderstood what I was saying in the uh, Strix Zen 5 Strix 12 core 8900G video I put out while I was on break, right? I'm not saying because it has an iGPU, they're going to make it cost more. I'm saying it's going to cost as much to make as an 8900X. So they're going to have to make a selling point, <laughs> the GPU, unless instead of trying to make this a budget $300 product, because it's not a budget product. It costs more. It's over 200 millimeter squared of just four nanometer, whereas the 8900X is like dual 80 millimeter squared of four nanometer and then 120 of six, which means the overall cost. I've heard the packaging is like five bucks or something. So the overall cost is about the same. I mean, think about it. The 8900G has four Zen 5, eight Zen 5C. Now, same IPC, but those eight Zen 5C will be clocked 20 to 30% lower. And it's still an APU built for mobile. So these the four full Zen 5 cores probably still boost 10% lower. So you're looking at something that costs the same to make as an 8900X, yet 20 to 30% lower multi-threading performance and 10% lower single threading. They have to make it selling point the graphics card. That's the whole point that it's a bigger die with a graphics card. is because it has a graphics card. That's why yeah. you would spend the money for it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why I, I don't know why else you would release that to the market. So yeah yeah uh. <laughs> and in fact the more i talk about this the more i think the best thing to do is just take the best yields of strix point and just sell them as gaming laptops you know and then the less efficient fully enabled yields those you know will go into ones maybe with a graphics card but you won't use the graphics card on the agpu as much and for desktop i think if they have an appreciable amount of these yields they should take the worst voltage yields but and then ones that have only eight to 10 cores enabled. Now, the reason I say eight to 10 cores is maybe it's all four Zen 5, but half of the Zen 5C cores are disabled, or there's two Zen 5 and eight Zen 5C cores disabled. Maybe both. Maybe they'll offer both options. Mm-hmm. I, I think you take that yield, those yields that have all compute units enabled still, and you sell that as like a 8750G. Actually, I think that would perfectly fill a hole in their lineup. 8950X3D, 8950X, and then for like 450, you have the 8900X. And then for like 380, you have the 8750G 10 core with a graphics card. And then above that is the 8 core X3D, because it's actually probably better multi threading actually than that G2. Mm-hmm. I think that's the that would, that's I, the way you go about it. Yeah. I I I <laughs> I think that would sell really well. And I don't think that would make any of their CPUs look stupid. <laughs> Which, yeah, is, and you know, which is the the weird po- po- part they're going to thing they're going to have to do in the market I- if they release these to desktop eventually, which I, I assume they will at some point. Um, that's the thing that they're going to need to do is make sure that they're 
parts aren't cannibalizing each other. Right. And I'm just looking at what the performance of this what it could be in a good scenario. 7600, the RX 7600 has, yeah, so about 21.75 teraflops. And I think that Strix Point could get to, yeah, I mean, we could be getting to like 14 teraflops or something. So you're, you're looking at something. But yeah, again, it's it's we're looking at something that could get to around 30, 50 or 16, 60 TI performance and stuff. And, you know, you include that in like a $380 APU, you get like a $250 CPU and a $200 GPU for $100 off. I think that makes sense. And then also mm-hmm. remember, this thing doesn't use any energy total, like maybe on desktop too. Who knows? It's already an A3 plus on four nanometer for all we know. You with a one twenty five watt TDP, you could push this sucker <laughs> to like yeah. three point five gigahertz, and yeah, that'll be really, really good. So I think that's a good product, but it's only a good product if they can find a way to sell it as you know below an eighty nine hundred X, but not that much less because it it actually costs more to make. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, though, that is all the reader mails. That is all of the questions. That is all the rambling. While I try to remember what I was talking about, the 8900G at the end there, but I think I got there. Um, (laughs) Any final thoughts, Dan? No, I don't think so. That's it? That's all you got? That's that's all I got. Are you feeling okay, though? You seem totally normal now compared to the last episode. In fact, you seem, well, we recorded the last episode with you like at midnight, so of course you're more awake now, but. Feeling pretty good, I think. Okay. Well, I hope you had an okay break. I'm glad that we got to uh, finally come back and you seem to be operating on all cylinders here for this episode. A reminder to everybody that, you know, there's a die shrink that just went out. Um, That's like an hour long looking at the Apple Vision Pro and actually looking at the overall VR market as a whole. I think there were some interesting conclusions we came to about how like all VR companies have seemingly decided at the same time that based on the data they have, VR is not ready to go mainstream. It's actually time to milk everybody. And uh, that video is very good, I think. It's there for patrons for just $2 a month. And, you know, $4 a month gets you early ad-free versions of Broken Silicon. Um, the ability to ask me any questions on Broken Silicon. Thanks in the credits. There's higher tiers with more content there for you as well. You have the extra money. Just 2 $4 a month really helps keep the lights on, including all different colored lights that we have here at Moore's Laws Dead. And we appreciate our patrons who do that. But otherwise, you know, support the sponsors if you need their products. We also can't do this without them. And uh, thank you for watching and listening, everybody. I hope you have a good week. Goodbye, everyone. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Laws Dead. Moore's Laws Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the about slash support page 
page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly possible. Every month, and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, Ejits, Daniel D, Aaron Close, Jan Ronner, Daniel Hyde, Brian Riggleman, Sam Miller, MJB1, Deke, GZ Ziggy, SNES Chalmers, Jerem Ferriera, Andrew S, Balcom Alev, General Trips, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Eric Jackson, Sarcastro, Evan Dingle, Greg G. Wanchek, Chris Rich, Nicholas Buckner, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Jesse Jeskowiak, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Buma, Blake, HardForeRoom.com, Franco Frederick, Shredbird, Dr. Foreman, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Zlicky, Ricky Tan, Chris Frey Butler, Stephen Hart, Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Nanan, Sammy Malas, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zuzu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Grow, Stephen, Co- Jordan Simkovic, Amiable Chief, Aaron, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Julian Leaked, I Should, Mark Raidmaker, The Boss Haas, James Anderson, Cole Attic, Judson N, Cameron, Wheezy Sager, Henry Zhang, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Roger Davies, Cameron, Exapuma, Chrysantine, Meyer Techrance, Reginald Ari, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, Frank Zielinski, Neithra Zink, The Eternal Dreamers, GSMMH, Game and Sense Reagan, Jeff Settler, AWS Danny, Loophole35, Windstar, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shay Milton, Pulse Media, Dave Schultz, Mac Daffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glidden, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I-711-700K, Joe Foot, Hardland, Slushboss C2, Jensen Angima, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Keith Moore, Him, Sagung, Tails, 2299, Stephen Santiago, John Sisovus, Earth, Taurus, The Forbidden Juice, Venti CZ, Kiko Sato, Toka, RV Razor, 
Sven there, Jensen, AC, Clint Sundin, Ben, Michael Cozy, Dr. J. Mad, Alex Vega, Free D, John Swin, Rodent BC, Joey Strong, Brian Riggleman, Tim 1K, Joe LaMartina, Kikum, Elbert, Elder Gun, Solar, Solar Eyes, 80, Christopher Ricks, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>